CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Yes, indeed. It is Wednesday, April 10th. And live from the Chicago Reader Suntime Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, oh, you know, we're talking Lincoln Yards. <laughs> Legendary Chicago journalist Monroe Anderson returns. We welcome our favorite grassroots organizer, Amisha Patel, and James Muhammad of SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana. And now your host, oh, what's on your mind today? <laughs> Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this It Was Fun While It Lasted Wednesday. And here's why. So let me take you back in time. It was Monday morning. I was drinking a cup of coffee, looking out the window and thinking great thoughts about a column I had to write when, bing, <laughs> I got a text. Microwave? Oh. Uh, no, man. It's my text. It goes, bing. Oh, what could that be? I took a look. It was my text. Breaking news. Lori Lightfoot, according to a friend who was texting me, had asked for a delay in the vote on Lincoln Yards and 78 TIFFs. Yes, Lori Lightfoot was taking a stand. She said she had concerns, all right? Had to have a delay in the vote. And Rahm Emanuel said, yeah, if Lori wants a delay, I'll give her a delay. And I was like, hooray! And I was jumping up and down doing Cool in the Gang song. Celebrate good time. Come on. No singing. Oh, and then I started singing Freddie Mercury. We God. are the champions. <laughs> you don't like Queen? I just don't like you singing. Oh, I'm sorry. <clears throat> and I love Queen. Anyway, <clears throat> I was thinking, oh, my God. Has Chicago finally come to its senses? Has Chicago finally elected a mayor with enough common sense to say no to spending, get this folks, 2.3 billion, that's billion with a B, 2.3 billion dollars in property taxes on things nobody wants like upscale developments and gentrifying wards? And instead, is she proposing to spend it on things that we all want and need like policemen, and firefighters, and teachers? And pensions for our retirees? And how about infrastructure programs to fix up our crumbling bridges and roads? Is that what the Lori Lightfoot election is all about? If so, hooray! Chicago works! And then, ding! That was another text coming in, D. Uh oh. Now your burrito was done. <laughs> another text. This one coming in from another friend going, uh oh. Bad news. 
Alderman Pat O'Connor, who chairs the Finance Committee. He chairs the Finance Committee because the previous chairman of the Finance Committee, Alderman Ed Burke, is an indicted. Had to step down because he was indicted by the feds. Oh, boy, what a city we have here in Chicago. Anyway, Alderman Patrick O'Connor, who is a big supporter of TIFFs. He loves TIFFs so much, he put a big TIFF tattoo on his shirt, on his chest. You know, he breaks open his shirt. I love TIFFs. Yeah, that TIFF tat. <laughs> Pat O'Connor with his Tiff Tat, too. Oh, wait, Tiff Tat Pat? <laughs> yeah, Tiff Tat Pat. Look, everybody, I got a Tiff Tat, too. <laughs> Let's waste money on Tiffs. Anyway, Pat O'Connor announced that. <laughs> no, 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 Ben. It's not over yet. Oh, no. Oh, no. It'd take more than one Lori Lightfoot press release to kill these monsters. <laughs> Oh, yes, it was going to take a lot more. And instead, Pat O'Connor announced that they were merely recessing the finance committee. What a slick move. Recessing the finance committee until they could convene on Wednesday. In the meantime, they would have like a discussion. Like, ooh, let's take a look at the TIFF in 48 hours and see if it was a good idea to spend, you know, $2.3 billion, that's billion with a B, on things we don't want, upscale development and gentrifying neighborhood, instead of spending it on things we do want. Police, firefighters, teachers, crumbling roads, let's fix them up. Anyway, I stopped singing happy songs and started singing sad ones, because folks... I knew what was coming. Oh, yeah. <laughs> They're going to take Lori Lightfoot into the back rooms of City Hall and just say, look, listen here, Lori. This is how things work in the city of Chicago. It's one thing to tell people like Ben Jarofsky, oh, I'm against tips. It's another thing. When you come to the fifth floor of City Hall, you got to play ball. All right? And guess what, D? You see that tattoo on that guy's <laughs> chest? We're playing ball here. It's the same alderman who stood up to Harold Washington. The same alderman who defied Harold Washington. They're still around. They're like now TIFF monsters. Ed Burke, Pat O'Connor. <laughs> anyway, oh, God, we spent two agonizing days wondering who would prevail. Pat O'Connor and Rahm Emanuel with their TIFF tattoos or the good side of Lori Lightfoot. Last night, she gave us her answer, Dean. Mm-hmm. It came in the form of bing, an email. <laughs> it was an email to me, D. I'm laughing now, but I was crying last night. Essentially, the email said, I've decided to uh, look the other way while they pass this tiff. It was going to happen anyway. All right, I got a lot of other things to do, and I need to fight with Pat O'Connor and Rob Emanuel and Sterling Bay and whoever owns 78. And so let's just mm, move on. By the way, this. Bing. Email came while I was doing my yoga, D. I was doing downward facing dog. Nice. <laughs> oh, I was trying to, oh man, I got to do some more yoga to get this out of me. By the way, I do yoga every night. Did you know that, D? <laughs> it's funny to me, but that's awesome. I knew that. Yeah, I know. It cracks me up. I know everybody, you do yoga? Yeah, man. You know, privacy of my eyes, I don't want anybody seeing it. Anyway, <laughs> oh God, it was a rough night for me. I was tossing and turning. I couldn't sleep. I go, man, oh, man. That was fast. <laughs> that was a fast fight. 48 hours and it's already over. In the aftermath, there's two theories as to why Lori Lightfoot dropped her opposition or 
dropped her concerns to the TIFF. One theory is that Rom and the powers that be intimidated her, scared her, told her that it would be rough, very rough for any mayor who dared to get in the way of so much power, money, etc. And the other theory by some real skeptics out there, D, some real cynics out there. I'm not saying I believe this theory. I'm just saying people have been advancing this theory, okay? Is that she never really intended to oppose it in the first place. And it was me. <laughs> it was merely a ruse to fool people like me. And like, wow, maybe she really is, you know, a progressive. Anyway, as I walked in the studio today, I got another message. Bing! from Crane Chicago Business. They are so happy. I got to tell you, I think everybody at Crane's, before you get a job at Crane's, has to put a little TIFF tattoo on their chest. Ding! <laughs> anyway, they announced that uh, the TIFF had passed. I think the vote was 32 to 13 for Lincoln Yards and 31 to 14 for the 78, which is Roosevelt. So $2.3 billion right out the window, folks. Hey, if you like property taxes, you're going to get a lot of them in the next few years because because they took those properties, those gentrifying areas of the city, off the tax rolls. Guess what? They're going to have to raise the rates on the rest of you suckers out there. Ah, God, you know, D, it was such a great moment, that feeling of jubilation. I felt like the inmates and uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest when Jack Nicholson took him on that cruise. Remember that part of the movie when when the boat and they were like free from the asylum and they got they went fishing and they felt the, the fresh air and they drank a beer. And then they came back and right back into the asylum for you and here, put you on the meds. And man, that didn't last long anyway. Yeah, I guess uh, Lori kind of raised uh, the flag of surrender in that one. 48 hours reform on tips, folks. Well, that's 48 more hours than we've ever had before. I'm going to look in the bright there side. There we go. The road to progress. <laughs> yes. I mean, you know, that was 48 hours more than Rom ever gave us. So let's look in the bright side, everybody. 48 hours of reform. It was fun while it lasted. We got a great show today, everybody. I'm not going to be crying today. Oh, no, the fight continues here Thank at the Majorowski Show. Yes, indeed. Monroe Anderson will be here, uh, and we'll be talking. You know, we're going to take a little break from TIFF Talk to talk Trump, 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 and Trump. I may also throw an Ebony uh, question or two at uh, Monroe. Monroe used to work for Ebony, and I uh, just saw in my beloved bright one. And who we kidding? You got to bring up the Lincoln Yards too. <laughs> yeah, hey, come on, Rome. I think Monroe was actually for Lincoln Yards. Uh, interesting enough. Uh, anyway, uh, we'll be talking about uh, Ebony Magazine uh, going bankrupt. Monroe used to work for them, and, and then after Monroe, James Muhammad, good friend from SEIU Healthcare, got a lot to talk about with James. All kinds of issues. Probably talk a little tiff. Don't you think I'll talk tiff? Oh yeah. Uh, SEIU is a big fans of Tony Preco and go. Hey, where was Tony in this tiff fight? Man, oh man, I mean, I know you're not running for mayor anymore, but it's not like you leave Chicago. Hold on, let me see. You under there, Tiff? Oh, yeah, come on out, Tony. Come out. <laughs> yeah, Tony was kind of missing in action on this Tiff fight as soon as the election. And anyway, we'll uh, be talking to James Muhammad. Hey, may ask him about that Kyle Corver article. Did you see that Kyle Corver article? Yes, I did. Uh, it was very interesting. Kyle Corver, for all our sports, non sports fans, Dennis doesn't allow me to talk sports, but I'll just tell you this. Come on, come on, come on. Kyle Corver was a great uh, player for the Bulls, now plays for the Utah Jazz, and he wrote an article uh, on the internet about white privilege. 
Interesting article from uh, Kyle Korber. He's white man, plays in the NBA, which uh, is roughly 75% black people. So interesting article from Kyle Korber. Uh, James says he wants to talk about that. And then, of course, at the end of the show, we're bringing on Amisha Patel from Grassroots Collaborative. And guess what she's going to be talking about? Tiff, tiff, tiff. And she does not have a tiff tattoo. That's for sure. I'm sure she's going to have some interesting criticism and thoughts about what went down in the city council today as the city council to say, you know, I think it would be a good idea to take $2.3 billion in property taxes and spend it on something that has absolutely nothing to do with all the pressing obligations we have as the city of Chicago. Hmm, good moves, Chicago City Council. Way to be good fiduciary watchdogs of the public purse. I know what we're going to do. We're going to take that window over there, open it up, take $2.3 billion in property taxes, and just throw it right out. Anyway. He is on fire, people. <laughs> what a heck of a city I live in. Chicago, Chicago. Anyway, it was 40, great 48 hours, D. It was a great 48 hours. Man. So that's what we're going to be talking about. But before we do any of that, we got the news with the doctor. I love that nickname, Tiff Tat Pat, by the way. <laughs> right? Awesome. It just came to me in a moment of inspiration. Actually, it came to you. Yeah, I came up with it. What are you talking about? Uh, taking credit for my jokes. Uh, yeah. Copyright. <laughs> All right. Hey, before we get going here, uh, join us on the live stream, everybody. Be like Benjamin. Benjamin took a took the uh, deep dive here and said it's his first time uh, trying it out. What's going on, Benjamin? All right, Benjamin. Here we go. Oh, hey, look at that. Ben's got a car that you can't see that he's doing there. Great uh, <laughs> podcasting material there. That's my blue Mustang, Benjamin. No one can say, there you go. That's his blue Mustang. Bruce, Bruce, what's happening? Join us on the live stream. Send us a, a statement, question, make fun of us, whatever you want to do. It's a good time. All right. It's the middle of the day. And like we always do about this time, let's talk about the national news happening this afternoon. Well, Trump is looking out for his boy today. I think he's down to like three of them, by the way. <laughs> that is including his own children. Uh, <laughs> not many friends. Burning a lot of bridges, that guy. Now, yesterday we mentioned how this Stephen Miller fella uh, yeah. was recently given the keys in the Trump administration's mm-hmm. immigration department. And boy, was he getting ripped all across the country yesterday for it. Well, the president says, don't believe any of it. It's all fake news. Trump said Stephen Miller is, quote, a wonderful per- a person and a brilliant man. <laughs> mm, yeah, Stephen Miller. We talked about him yesterday, uh, right, D? D? Stephen Miller? Oh, uh, yeah. Not the rock star. Stephen Miller's the millennial who works for uh, Trump. Uh, he's a, a little to the right of Trump himself. Uh, I, and I mentioned this uh, yesterday. I think Stephen Miller is one of these guys who's rebelling against his uh, background. So he grew up in a liberal area, I think, in Southern California. And he was the kid who, when he was in high school, would not uh, take his garbage in the cafeteria back to, uh, you know, to throw it out and put the tray back because he said, "Let's janitors get paid yeah. to do that." It okay. was the topic at the janitors' conference every month. <laughs> I'm like, what? A, he was just a warm and caring, fuzzy-hearted guy way back when in uh, high school, and it's just gone. <laughs> downhill ever since make the janitors do more work trump also insisted that he is in charge of his own immigration policy all right here's the quote from trump frankly there's only one person that's running it you know who that is it's me (laughs) he told reporters outside the white house uh anything else you want to add yeah i want to add this donald trump uh rode this horse into the white house and apparently thinks this is the horse that's going to get him uh re-elected to a second term just bashing immigrants coming from the south by the way coming across the border with mexico uh bashing immigrants to play on the fears prejudices and biases people in this country and denigrating the character of so many good immigrant immigrants to this country this country is built 
by immigrants. And uh, so shame, shame on Donald Trump and shame, shame on Stephen Miller. But you know what, D? It's uh, Donald Trump and immigration is uh, sort of like the city of Chicago and TIFFs. It's just a bad deal they can't get rid of, and they're just going to play it out. So Get ready for that a lot today, all right? <laughs> Anytime we don't talk about the TIFFs and the Lincoln Yards, Ben's going to find a way to say it. He's on back. fire. Because Chicago, you know what? You can't just bash Trump. <laughs> Got to look in the mirror, Chicago. Some of the stuff you do, Chicago. In other news nationally, we have two 2020 Democratic POTUS candidate updates. First up, Mr. $27 himself, <laughs> Bernie Sanders. He reintroduced his Medicare for All health care plan today. Under Medicare for All, the U.S. would transition to a single-payer system run entirely by the federal government. The bill is largely the same as the one he introduced in 2017, which means that a few of his 2020 Democratic presidential rivals have backed it. Senators Cory Booker, Kristen Gillibrand, Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren, all previously endorsed an earlier version of Bernie's bill. Yes, indeed. We talked about this with David Ferris last Friday. We're going to be having more conversations as the election year kicks up. What's a good idea for, uh, well, two issues. One, politically speaking, what's the best idea for the Democrats to advance in order to take back uh, the White House? I'm going to bring Carlos uh, Ramirez Rosa in on this. He was a big Bernie supporter uh, back in the last election. See what he has to say about this. Uh, Politically speaking, should they go with Medicare for all or should they go for some sort of hybrid form of uh, expanded health care, which people get to keep their private insurance, their work-related insurance. Uh, so there's a political issue, and then there's just the issue of what's what's best for the people of America, and sometimes you got to choose one or the other. So we'll be talking about this quite a while in the coming weeks. And finally, in hopes that we will all forget about that awkward DNA test thing, 2020 presidential candidate Senator Elizabeth Warren released her 2018 tax return today. It showed more than $900,000 in family income. She and her husband, Bruce Mann, reported earning $905,742 in total income, including $176,280 from her Senate salary and $324,687 from her books. Altogether, they paid $230,965 in taxes and donated $50,138 to charity. How much did she make in the books, did she? Three hundred grand. Uh, in the books there, uh, yep, yeah, uh, $324,687. All right. Uh, not I simply fair. cannot relate. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you got to write a book, all right? Go write a book. Okay. At, uh, after the, the show, go write a book, all right? All right, all right. Uh, and uh, listen, you know what? Um, hey, Donald Trump, Elizabeth Warren released her taxes. Why don't you release your taxes, huh? I just do not understand why the Republicans I'm don't. I'm being audited. <laughs> oh, you're right. I, oh, you're right. I forgot. I forgot. You're the only one in the Duh. world uh, who who realizes that an audit shouldn't prevent you from having to release your taxes. But good for Elizabeth. I'm waiting for Bernie. He hasn't released his yet. He said he said the other day he was going to release his taxes. Did you see that bit? I think I, I would tell you about that. It was mm-hmm. I think it was Trevor Noah was interviewing him, and he said to uh, Bernie, he said, it was pretty clever. Got to give Trevor Noah credit. He said, um, uh, Donald Trump doesn't release his taxes because he doesn't want people to realize really how broke he is and bernie sanders doesn't release his taxes because bernie doesn't want people to realize how rich he is and then bernie went <laughs> not the case not the case it's not a bad bernie it was decent yeah. it was decent <laughs> and then he said uh, don't you worry trevor i'm gonna release those taxes so i'm waiting come on bernie 
Now, of course, we will keep you posted on these stories as today's program <clears throat> rolls along. Oh, we got an update from uh, Bernie Sanders here. A quote from Bernie Sanders. A quick little update. All right. $27. <laughs> That's what the quote was. And by the way, what happened oh. to my Bernie Sanders doll? I swear I had a Bernie you Sanders doll. You did no, not have a Bernie right. Sanders doll. Oh. You're delusional, my oh, man. It's gaslight. They took the doll and they told me I didn't have a doll and I'm losing my mind. Ah! All right, our senile <laughs> host. Fantastic. All right. Great work, partner. Hey, you ready to find out what's going on in Chicago and or Illinois this afternoon? I was born ready. I love that answer. Always a fantastic answer, especially at this time, because coming up after these short words from our host, Ben Jarofsky, we're going to find out what else is news. I cannot wait because it's the time of day where the doctor plucks that little trick from his little sleeve. We'll see what it is when we return. Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. And Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement, whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. Hey, welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Benny J, take it away. All right, will do. I will take it away. Before I take it away and turn it back to you for uh, the local news, Ds, I got to tell you, on my way, uh, walking up Racine to our beautiful studio that the Chicago Sun-Times uh, has built for us in their lovely West Loop uh, building, I bumped into... Marty Ritter, an old friend. Marty Ritter, who is... An hey, or- Marty. <laughs> He's an organizer for Chicago Teachers Union, and he lives in this neighborhood. And for I don't know what he was doing, but... How about that bagel place, huh, Marty? <laughs> Whoa, it's right across the street, guys. It's fantastic. It's right down the street from where Marty lives. Yeah, he lives somewhere around here, and I bumped into him. Hey! All the- I was walking down the street. I was deep in thought, thinking about tips. Thinking, well... <laughs> you know, what was I going to say about the tip thing? And I was just deep in thought. All of a sudden, I hear, hey! Ben, I look up and I, you know, I quit. Why, Marty? You know, I walk over, I start chatting. Marty Ritter, great Marty Ritter, and um, I want. He had great news for me. He, he says he has, uh, he subscribes to three podcasts on his show. Okay, all right, one, two, three podcasts on his show. One of them is uh, Lawrence Holmes. Uh, Marty's a big sports guy. Lawrence Holmes, great sports uh, broadcaster for uh, I think it's ESPN. And uh, and then he has a World Wrestling Federation uh, podcast. It's entertainment. World Wrestling Entertainment now. Come what did I say? Federation. Oh, okay. Sorry about that. It's not that. the 80s. Anymore. Wrestling. <laughs> they got the F out. <laughs> I, uh, been, you know, I haven't really been following wrestling since Bruno Sammartino oh, was wrestling. Was awesome. uh, it was way before your time. Uh, and finally, the third show. Our show. Hey, uh, we made the cut. Yeah, we made the cut. Marty's cut. He showed me the little picture, and I, he said he's going. He wants to come on to talk wrestling. All right. So I know you don't. You have a ban on sports, but I think you may let Marty come on to talk. We can have like a good two to three minute talk on on wrestling. Sure. All right. You hear that, Marty? Two to three minutes, and boom, back to politics. The guy knows politics, by the way. Marty Ritter knows his awesome. stuff. Awesome. 
So anyway, it was fun bumping into Marty Ritter, the great Marty Ritter from the Chicago Teachers Union. All right, boy, what do you got for me? Seriously, man? how about that bagel shop across the street? <laughs> Am I right, Marty? Whoa, dude. Yeah. All right, everybody, we're about to find out what's going on locally. It's time for What Else is News. Mm-hmm. And yes, we're going to talk more about the late night Lincoln Yards deal. Trust me, we will be spending a good majority of today's program wrapping our heads around this unfortunate dose of reality. <laughs> I have a feeling our guests Monroe Anderson, Amisha Patel, and James Muhammad are going to be talking about it, whether they like it or not as well, okay? But, Ben, uh, yeah. let's take our mind off of that okay, for the yeah. moment, okay? Let's try our best, please. Right, yeah. Give it, your inner zen. Do some uh, yoga here. All right, I'll do that uh, downward facing. Oh, there you go. Oh, good. Okay, good, good. Let's take our mind off of it, and let's attempt to answer this age-old question. Yeah. And I'm sure uh, all of us have at least one person in our families that have asked this question. Shout out to my Uncle Ron, if you're listening. Hey, Ron, what's up, buddy? What's up, Ron? How much homegrown marijuana (laughs) is too much homegrown marijuana? Yeah. That was the question posed to our Illinois Democratic Governor, J.B. Pritzker, on Tuesday. Now our governor has made this no secret, all right? He is into the idea of legalizing recreational marijuana in the state of Illinois. Pritzker has stated on several occasions that it could bring in close to $170 million in state revenue, and he wants to get this going ASAP. And Ben, for any of our new listeners out there, we all just learned you do yoga, but what are your thoughts on uh, recreational marijuana? Marijuana? Well, uh, first of all, good news. Uh, Monroe Anderson has arrived. Monroe Anderson has arrived. Love it when my guests come early. Everybody knows, who knows anything about what I, my writing, I've been banging the drum for the legalization of recreational marijuana forever. Uh, I think it's an outrage that um, it's not, it, okay, it's hypocritical that we um, make it illegal since so many people smoke it, and it's just downright unfair, bigoted, prejudiced, racist, uh, the way we enforce the law where we lock up black people for doing something uh, that everybody does. And uh, so I just feel that there's no justification for the continued uh, uh, war on drugs through marijuana. I've always believed, or at least for the, since I put my mind on it, that it should be legalized. Now, J.B. Pritzker says uh, it can raise up to $170 million. I think, I think it's, I, I don't think it's a sound policy to legalize marijuana strictly because of the money it's going to raise and start anticipating great amount of money to roll in. It's going to be offset by educational programs to try to keep people from doing too much marijuana for policing. You know, they're still going to be cracked. Now they're going to be cracking out people, see if they're driving stone. Uh, and it probably won't bring in as much money as they anticipate. So I think there's enough compelling reasons to legalize marijuana without hyping the uh, financial end of it. But that seems to be what um, uh, Pritzker and many advocates for legalizing marijuana feel compelled to do, because I'm pretty sure the polling and the focus group research shows that's why most people uh, favored, if they favored at all. Yes, J.B. Pritzker wants to legalize recreational marijuana here in Illinois. And yesterday, my friends, J.B. doubled down on the doobie. (laughs) The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and Tina Spondelas asked during a Springfield news conference about his, quote, philosophical view of (laughs) whether Illinois residents should have the right to grow cannabis in their homes. Pritzker voiced his support. Quote, this is Pritzker, I don't think it's a philosophical question about whether it should just be an open right for anybody to open their own farm in their basement, Pritzker said to some chuckles from legislators behind him. Pritzker went on to say, it's really more of a question about, it's really more, after a bit more laughter, Pritzker took a position, 
people should have home grow. But the question is, how much? Mm-hmm. See, whenever you even talk about marijuana, everybody giggles. I know. It's hard to think. We have this war against marijuana. I've been locking up black people for smoking reefer, possessing it for years and years and years. And yet, whenever we talk about it, people giggle. I blame (laughs) Cheech and Chong. I love Cheech and Chong. Movies are funny. They are funny. But just marijuana is funny. If anybody smoke marijuana, rob people smoke marijuana, by and large, it's kind of like giggle time. You know what I'm saying? Whereas I've been around many bars my whole life. People are knocking back the drinks, can get a little rough and raw. People had a few to drink. Everybody knows that. But somehow or other, it's the giggle drug that's illegal, and it's the hard, hard, hard drug. <laughs> oh, that, sh- shout out to our friend Pat Rod not. on the uh, YouTube live stream. He says, bring out the bong. Yeah, bring out the All bong, right, indeed. Quick. Yeah, so... <laughs> It's been a while since I heard the bar. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So anyway, yeah, legalize marijuana, get it over with, and uh, any money that we raise from it is uh, icing on the cake. So we're talking about homegrown uh, marijuana here. And now to our friend and former guest on the Ben Jarofsky Show. Go download the interview. Illinois State Rep Kelly Cassidy. Cassidy and Democratic State Senator and hopefully future guest of the Ben Jarofsky Show, Heather Staines, have been working on legislation to legalize marijuana for years. Mm-hmm. Legislation that could include some extent to home grow by the end of the spring session. Spondella has talked with Cassidy and Staines. Cassidy said home grow is simply part of a larger discussion within a legalization measure. And despite some opposition to home grow, Cassidy said she hasn't heard from any legislators about pulling support for uh, legalization should home grow be included. And Staines said the discussion over home grow remains, quote, open. Here's the quote from Staines. The number has generally stayed at five plants Mm -hmm. that may end up changing, Staines said. There's still discussion about whether that should be medical or for everybody. Now, of course, our conservative friends in the state of Illinois aren't too keen on this whole deal. Uh, There are still 60 legislators who signed on as sponsors of a resolution that asked to slow down the process. Ben Jarofsky, answer the question here. How much homegrown marijuana <laughs> is too much homegrown marijuana? Once again, shout out to my Uncle Ron. Yeah, uh, I'm going to have to duck and dodge this one because it's been so long since I indulged uh, in this pastime that I really don't know what five uh, plants are. Me, Monroe Anderson is far more uh, <laughs> knowledgeable in this subject. So I'll ask him, like, what is is five plants? How much reefer does that even raise? Uh, I I do you know Monroe? I've, I've not grown any. Oh, you've not no. grown <laughs> All right. So, and he doesn't I, inhale, I, just I, like Bill Clinton. I, oh, did I ever explain to you how the inhale, the, the Bill doesn't inhale thing happens no. to be true? Wait, wait, you actually believe Bill Clinton was telling the truth when he, he was said telling it? the truth. What makes you say that? Okay. I, I, many years ago, I interviewed a young man who was working for an organization here in Illinois who was trying to get it uh, medical in. Uh-huh. This, medical it, medical yeah, illegal. Yeah, probably 20 okay. years ago. All right. And he says that a, a good friend of his was in London when Bill was on his Rhodes scholarship. Uh-huh. And Bill did not smoke dope. But he was very fond of brownies. Ah, so, so that's uh, who isn't? a typical Clint, Clinton, Clintonism. Yeah, where he didn't, he tried it, but he didn't inhale. What was that great uh, little saying that Monroe came up with regarding another 
Clinton. Oh, my God. <laughs> Eating ain't cheating. Yeah, that, right, right. Monroe Anderson likes He's not to talking about brownies. Right. <laughs> wasn't talking about brownies. Oh, <laughs> uh, that Monroe Anderson. I, I had never heard. I think you actually may have said that before. Uh, that So since he indulged in eating brownies, technically you could say he didn't inhale. Right. And sl- telling the truth. And, boy, there was a reason they <laughs> yes, called him Slick Willie. Exactly. He'd have fit right in with that Chicago City Council and those tip deals. Yeah, right. I said, I brought it back oh, to the tip look deal. Oh, Man, there's our theme. There's our theme today. All right, Monroe, 12 or 5 plants. Do you have an opinion on that? I have no idea. Okay. Me I, I, I tried to grow one back when I was in college, one or two it, that on go? my top deck. Oh. Uh, it was pretty scrawny, and it was pretty weak. Yeah. I, 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 this stuff now, I hear. Oh, yeah, here we go. I heard. <laughs> I, I, I hear it. It's potent. Okay, all right. It's very potent. Uh, uh, so, anyway, I do not. I cannot weigh in on the 12 versus 5D. I'd like to say have an opinion. I know I'm supposed to have an opinion about everything, but. Well, let's just go 12 and see what happens. That's uh, what I say, huh? Okay, you seem to have some strong opinions on this yeah, one. Let's well, go 12. If, if the cops raid you and it's really 5, then you're up the yeah, creek. That's all right. Without a paddle. <laughs> so, how much homegrown marijuana is too much homegrown marijuana? Well, I guess we're still uncertain on that. But you'll now have an answer the next time someone asks you, Hey, what else is news? All right, let me tell you something. Something that Marty Ritter, our good friend that I just bumped to on Racine. What's up, Marty? Right. Something that Marty Feldman, great comic. Uh, did you ever see, uh, what was it, Young Frankenstein? Oh, Hilarious. Tight millennials. And something, speaking of millennials, Marty McFly. Oh. <laughs> They all agree. Millennial in the 80s. Yeah, or the a millennial. young guy in the 80s. He was so millennialistic back in the He was like a bro before there were bros. Anyway, they all agree. You did a great job. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. We got Monroe Anderson sitting there getting ready to talk Trump, 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 and Trump. We'll be right back. Hey there. Producer Dennis here. Thanks for finding and listening to the brand new Ben Jarofsky Show. All right, so here's how this works. The Ben Jarofsky Show live streams on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m. Once the show is over, you can listen to the replay on our YouTube channel, or we throw it online for you to download by 4 p.m. Where can you download the Ben Jarofsky Show, you may be asking yourself? Well, you may be asking yourself a fantastic question. You can find previous Ben Jarofsky shows and guest interviews through several outlets. The Chicago Sun-Times Online, chicago.suntimes.com. The Chicago Reader Online, chicagoreader.com. And wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, pick one. Just search for The Ben Jarofsky Show. J-O-R-A. V is in victory, S-K-Y. So, let's recap. Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m., live streamed on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel and downloadable by 4 at chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. Yes, the Ben Jarofsky Show is back. We're live and downloaded. Tell your friends and enjoy the rest of the show. This weekend, come explore the Admiral Theater's dark side. 
It's Strip Wars Volume 1, The Phantom Stripper, a parody show live at the Admiral Theater, 3940 West Lawrence and Pulaski, April 11th, 12th, and 13th in a theater not so far away. Do not miss Strip Wars, The Phantom Stripper, a parody show live at the Admiral Theater. For more information, call 773-478-8111 or visit AdmiralX.com. This is a totally nude show. Must be 18 years or older to enter. Commercial break over. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, indeed, we are live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Monroe Anderson, legendary reporter, uh, former press spokesperson person for Eugene Sawyer, uh, in the studio with me, comes in once a week, every Wednesday. We used to call it uh, Monroe Monday. Uh, but we're not on the air on Monday, so now we call What do we call it? We're calling it Monroe Midweek. Monroe Midweek. And Monroe's going to ask for us to double his salary because last week's segment was the highest-ranked Ben Jarofsky show of all time. Uh-oh. Tracy Bame, Monroe uh, Anderson, and uh, little Steve Cohen was here, the uh, producer. And, that and was Paula the, Fraley, come on. Paula Fraley as well, yes. Uh, a shout out uh, one more time, a Doc 10 Film Festival this Thursday. Thanks for reminding me, D, at the Davis Theater. And the uh, Alexander Ocasio-Cortez documentary will be uh, uh, showing on Thursday. Folks, I think they have select seats only for that. Uh, you might check it out uh, on the internet, Doc 10 at the Davis Theater, the Alexander Ocasio-Cortez documentary. What are you going to say, Monroe? You're going to ask for a raise? Oh, I was going to ask for a raise, and I want a subtitle. Uh, uh, the uh, Ben Jarofsky show with Monroe. Oh, okay. <laughs> Man, he's just moving in. Hard bark. Hey, he's already cut a deal with another radio station where he took Monroe Monday, all right? Uh, it's all good. It's all good. All right, Monroe. I'm getting rich. He's getting rich, yeah. Um, all right, Monroe, before we uh, do the Trump deep dive, I told you I was going to ask you about Johnson Publishing's heartbreaking fall. It's on the front page of today's Sun-Times. Mary Mitchell wrote a good column about it. I urge everybody to check it out. Uh, when I was a kid, Five billion years ago, uh, Monroe Anderson. Um, I used to love reading Ebony Magazine. Uh, it was in the Nichols Junior High Library and at the Evanston High School Library. And it came it was uh, it was just everything. It was the gossip, the celebrity, the pictures. They did this annual uh, article where they would rank the top players, baseball players, over a hundred thousand. And, ba- and back in those days, believe it or not, there were a lot of uh, black baseball players, yeah. African-American baseball players, not like today where there's fewer. Uh, and uh, so it was, I don't know, I was just always, and they always followed Muhammad Ali, you know what I mean? Yeah. You, you get your Muhammad Ali news and stuff. Well, when, when you were a kid, I was an assistant editor at Ebony. Okay, you're not that much older than me, all right? <laughs> I was already not a kid by then. You were not a ki- you were not assistant editor in 1968, okay? Yeah, no, this was 72. All right, 72, uh, well. Now, I, if if you when when I came to work for Ebony, I came from D.C. the National Observer mm-hmm. to work for Ebony, and the new, the building was just completed the, here in the Chicago, building, yeah, the Ebony on, building yeah, on the South Michigan. Yeah, right, exactly. Mm-hmm. And it was incredible. It had TV telephones. Mm-hmm. Wow, 1972. Now the problem with that, of course, there were only about three other companies in the world that had them, so you didn't have many people you could actually right, talk, talk to. to yeah. yeah, but it was incredible. And, and the the other really incredible thing about it was any any black person 
who was anybody, mm. came to Ebony, to Johnson, when he was he or she was in town. Johnson being the founder. Yeah, and some, yeah, well, Johnson Publishing Company mm. I see. is the okay. title. And so I, I had lunch as an assistant editor. I had lunch with Lena Horn. Um, Tell our young listeners, Lena Horn, great singer, actress, right. absolutely gorgeous. Right. Uh, Sanford and Son, Fred, uh, Red Fox would always go, like, I'll talk about Lena Horn. Oh, well, how beautiful. I, I met Sanford and Son there. They did a tour. And so I, I met them there. I mean, the, the, the list was um, just You met Red or, Fox? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. Was he yeah. funny or was he, was he like oh, a comedian who wasn't he, funny no, when he. He was, he was walking through the building <laughs> and they had all these gorgeous women working. In there, so Fred, uh, Fred was set, was going, um, "Hello, lunch." Is <laughs> <laughs> that Monroe Anderson again? The views and actions of Monroe Anderson do not reflect those of the Ben Jarofsky Show. Oh my God! Well, and, did I say I've had an interesting life? Fred, Red Fox, you mix Fred, Fred Sanford right, exactly. and Red right, Fox right, uh, right. and turn him into Fred Fox. Right. Um, Wow, yeah, so all, yeah, a lot of celebrities yeah, uh, coming I, through. Remember uh, meet Muhammad Ali? Did you ever see him coming through uh, Ebony? Or? No, I met him in college yeah. at Indiana University. Okay. I, but, okay, but going back to when, when I first started at Ebony, mm-hmm. um, my managing editor gave a party in his apartment in Prairie Shores for Billy D. Williams. Okay. Billy D. Williams, great uh, actor from yeah. the 70s. Yeah, and... Um, Billy's at the party. All these ebony models, fashion fair models were there. They completely ignored him because he was a nobody. So we, 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 we stood in the corner talking about black exploitation movies for much of the night. Wait a minute. You're telling me that Billy DeWilliams Williams was at this party and they, the guy's absolutely gorgeous. Well, they still he, he was there promoting Brian's song. He was in town to promote right. Brian's song, which hadn't even come out. I see. Okay, so they paid him no. He he had his he had his sort of collegiate look. He had, he had a short afro, he had a blue blazer and a white shirt, etc. Yeah. Maybe six months later. Um, the, the 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 movie comes out. Brian's song, made for TV show. No, no, yeah. no, 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 no. The the movie about uh, um, Billy Holiday. Oh, uh, Lady Sings the Blues. Lady Sings with the Diana Blues. Ross. Yes, comes out, and you know he's this sex symbol in that. Yes, the women were going gaga. The same women who had ignored him at the party. Now we're, now like, we're going ah, to Billy D. Williams. All right, here you go. Here's a trivia question. Okay. This is hard. I'm coming out uh, of nowhere. All right. And Lady Sings the Blues, yes. who played the role of the piano man? Uh, Richard Pryor. Very good. Get that guy a blue Mustang. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first time I ever saw Richard Pryor in that movie. Yeah. I, I had never seen him before that movie. Well, when I was at the National Observer, mm-hmm. I tried to interview Richard Pryor at the, at the cellar door in D.C., he was playing there. You tried? I tried. And uh, you failed? I was, okay. I worked for the National Observer. Uh-huh. I try to get back to do the interview. I get as far as to the green room. He's there with a couple of women, and um, there appear to be white stuff oh, on the okay, table. Oh, okay, yeah. And so he doesn't want to be interviewed by me. He says, no, no interview. And Sweet. so I'm, I'm turning around, and he says to me, and um, tell tell your boss, um, God, what's it? 
the the national the the, the other the, the national review the right wing oh uh, William Buckley yeah right tell your boss William Buckley I said hi uh, he mixed up he, the he one mixed with the up, other so he wouldn't he wouldn't inter- he give me the interview because he thought I was wow now I bet he would interview if you were for Ebony magazine oh yeah yeah you know I spent I, of course I spent a week in 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 New York. Um, with Stevie Wonder supposedly interviewing him, but it never came to fruition for some reason or another. This is for Ebony. Yeah, for Ebony. All right, now let me ask you this. The, um, before we get to Trump, 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 and Trump, yeah. uh, Ebony Johnson Publications plunges into bankruptcy is the headline. Uh, is this the, the demise, the downfall of Ebony and the empire that John Johnson built in the 50s, 60s, and 70s? Uh, is this a sign? What? What is it a sign of? Uh, decline and just the general decline of readership or integration? Of, yeah, no, it's a, but yeah, integration is a problem. Um, the uh, Newsweek was sold for a dollar, remember? Yeah. You know, it may, it may, it's a hard time for magazines for the printed word, period. I mean, everybody's in trouble. Chicago, what's really interesting is that when I, I moved here in 72 to work for Ebony, Chicago was arguably the black capital of America. Mm-hmm. You had um, Johnson Publishing, you had Johnson the hair product people, you, you had um, Parker House um, Sausages. I mean, you had all these different major league companies, all of which are now gone. And um, the center of black America, arguably, has now moved to Atlanta. Mm. Well, I, there's an article in the Tribune the other day. I can't remember who wrote it. I asked James Muhammad about this when he comes in. Uh, right now, Chicago has uh, Lori Lightfoot as mayor, a black yeah, woman. Right. Uh, has Tony Perquico, president of the county board, a black right, woman. Right. Uh, Kim Fox, state's attorney, a black woman. The yeah. lieutenant governor is a black woman. Right. Uh, the treasurer of the city of Chicago is a black woman. Yeah. And I'm uh, probably forgetting other people on the list. So it's sort of like a... Uh, uh, a glory day uh, for black elected officials, and yet the population, the, the black population in the city of Chicago, uh, continues to fall, and it will probably continue to fall as the city pr- continues to gentrify. Right. Uh, and uh, so, what do you think about that? How could there be, if it's such a a black, it's if, if this is such a, gr- a glory moment for a black political officials, what's that say, you know, in relation to the falling black population? It says that Lori Lightfoot has a lot of work to do. <laughs> well, if she wants to keep black people in the city of Chicago. Oh, my, I, I imagine she does. Um, and, and um, well, you heard about how the city council has voted on. Oh, we've been on talking about it uh, a lot. And okay, we were, no, and, and the thing is, I'm sure you were upset by it. Yes, very. I've been okay. talking about it. And I'm not because I, of the I deal. also said that, by the way, that you would have a different point of view on yeah, this. Yeah, because she cut a deal to get much more participation among um, black contractors and women. Well, I'll tell you what, And that's where the jobs are. Okay, I'll tell you this right now. If that's a legitimate uh, deal that she cut, and uh, that's that's not uh, window dressing, uh, then I'll tip my hat to her, okay? Okay. Uh, Right now, people in the city of Chicago, the argument I'm making, have many pressing pressing bills that are coming before them, including police 
contract, a firefighter contract, a teacher contract, yeah. uh, pension obligations. Right. Uh, lots of roads need to be repaved. Lots of bridges need to be fixed. Right. It's going to cost a lot of money. And somehow or other, we're going to have to raise the money to pay for all those bills. Uh, the city of Chicago, and it's not Lori, it was not Lori Life. I'm going to, I have to make this point. This was Rahm's plan, not Lori's oh, plan. Oh, yeah, right. right. They're going to take tax, a tax, uh, very valuable land off the tax, uh, off the taxable uh, rec- land. Uh, you can't tax it anymore. And uh, because it's going to be for a TIF. So that's going to mean your property taxes are going up, up, up to pay all these obligations. I, I went to a, a, a one of the Lincoln Yards meetings. Uh-huh. And Michelle Smith, my older person, uh-huh. personally guaranteed me that my taxes were going up. Oh, she did? How? <laughs> yeah. She knows something you don't know. <laughs> all right. We'll move on from uh, the, the story of your property taxes and talk about um, Donald Trump. Number one on the agenda, Donald Trump and his taxes. Monroe, we've been talking about this for a long, long time. Yes. And it seems as though the Democrats are finally zeroing in yes. uh, on the tax uh uh, Donald Trump's taxes. Yes, and they're going to get him. Although um, one of his people uh, said that we'd we'd never get them, but we're going to get them. Where do you, okay, now how do you think the Democrats are are going to obtain these taxes? Um, there's this law. I forget the number on it. Six three zero one or something mm-hmm. like that. The law says that if the Ways and Means Committee. House Ways and Means Committee asked for taxes they, uh, of any individual or corporation, they shall be provided. And anybody who's been to law school who knows somebody who's been to law school knows that shall means shall. It doesn't mean if or maybe or uh, probably or any, it means that's what you do. Trump is resisting it. He and his lawyers right now, they're trying to, they're they're doing, they're being very Trumpian about it. Uh, But they will, there there will be a court case. And the law is as plain as can be. So it'll drag it out, but they will have to do that. Also, in New York, Mm. there's now a movement to get Trump's state taxes. And now they won't be identical to the federal taxes, but they'll still have much of the same valuable information in it. Now, wait, let's go back to that bill that you were uh, yeah. alluding to. Yeah. It's in the House, did you say? It, what? The, 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 the federal movement to, yeah. to yeah. Uh, is yeah. it in the House? It's the House Ways and, Ways and Means Committee. All right. And so you're, the Democrats now control the House, so you figure that'll pass the Democrats. Oh, uh, yeah. No, it's not a problem yeah. with that. Well, yeah. But what about the Senate? Uh, no, you don't have to get the Senate. The, the law says that if the, the chairman of the House Ways I and see. Means Committee mm-hmm. asks for the tax returns yeah i get you of, uh, yeah of mm-hmm. a a corporation or a citizen that they shall shall not maybe so yeah this is if they press this, this is going straight to court you it, know that exactly value. right if they well that's because the deadline was today that's and nothing's correct. happening yeah so no they're going to press it trump is trying to fight it 
um, what he's 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 he his people are saying is that that's only if some it has to be for a specific purpose, not just as a, a fish, fishing ex- expedition. And so, how do you get around that? Okay, so what the Democrats are saying mm-hmm. is that they are they are investigating the IRS, not Trump. They're investigating the IRS to see if um, the IRS is in fact auditing Trump. And if they're doing a good job. So in other words, they're going to get around. They're gonna, the specificity has to do with an investigation of the IRS, not so much Donald Trump, exactly. but uh, a collateral benefit, if you exactly. will, of their investigation exactly. of the IRS would exactly. be to obtain. Exactly. To, oh, man, so right. some slick guys. In that. Oh, 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 I know. Now, that sounds I, like some Chicago TIF lawyers there. Right. right? Exactly. No, <laughs> the, but, the, uh, yeah. but one complication is yeah. that. You, it's it's a felony to um, prov- um, give any sort of, of of media anything to to talk about it publicly. You can look at them, but you can't talk about them publicly. You can't you can't make the tax returns public. It's a felony to talk about them, yeah, but you can look at them. You can look. At so them. does that mean the Democrats, if they uh, obtain them, can put them on the internet? They cannot do it. It's a felony. So the Democrats can look at them and that's it? Well, they can look at them, and because they are, are already doing investigations, mm-hmm. let's say in Trump's um, tax returns, they discover that um, he's been slipping you um, $50,000 a week for some criminal aspect let's just say that okay, yeah, right. okay. I mean, we don't then, know that we're then, just saying that then they can bring you in i see and you have to publicly talk about what happened under oath so when how what will it take before we the people we just the ordinary citizens of the united states of america get to see donald trump's taxes we, okay we 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 may not get to see them in the in the federal taxes, we probably will get to see the state taxes, mm-hmm. uh, and we may get to see the. Okay, there's one other thing: the Republicans shot themselves in in the foot back in 2014. If you remember, they were accusing Obama of um, using the IRS to punish right wing organizations. I remember that. Yeah. Okay. Now, that was not supposed to be made public, but the Republicans trying to embarrass the Democrats insisted that if they, they passed some law that, that, that made it um, possible for those, those, those uh, the IRS reports of these, or, these, these right-wing organizations to become public. So they set a precedent that the Democrats may be able to use. How so? It's a House Democrats mm-hmm. may be able to use to expose Trump's taxes. So, uh, so all right. It's, it's, so it's very interesting. All right. Now, uh, what about the possibility, uh, and I'm surprised this hasn't happened already, just uh, a whistleblower, if you will, in the IRS, the federal right. government, leaks right. them to a reporter. Felony. <laughs> Uh, do, are you that much of a whistleblower that you no. want to go to jail for? So who would go to jail? Would the reporter go to jail as well as no, the whistleblower? just the whistleblower. And they would probably it. squeeze the reporter to get him and her to give up the name yeah. of the whistleblower. Exactly. They would take that very seriously. Exactly. So exactly. that's not going to happen. Well, probably not. I mean, it depends on who it is and how righteous they feel. 
Well, I rem- you know, I mean, the Pentagon Papers were released, exactly. um, you know, uh, and uh, let's, uh, what's the Snowden released uh, thousands of thousands well, of yeah, government yeah, documents. Right, and he's hanging out in London. Yeah. I can't come outdoors. Uh, no, he's not in let's, uh, he's in Moscow. He's in Russia. Snowden's oh, in Snowden. Russia. No, yeah, no, yeah. I'm thinking of uh, WikiLeaks. Yeah, yeah Assange. Yeah, right, I don't exactly. know where he is at the he's, moment. He's in London. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, so in other words, yeah, it's possible uh, yeah. that it would happen. Right. But uh, there's... It, well, see, be... and the other thing that I'm not sure about, nobody's... I, I've not seen any reporting on it, but my guess is that Mueller has, has had those um, taxes also. Because he couldn't do a, a, a serious investigation without looking at Trump's taxes. So, of course, it'll be redacted in the, the, the bar report. All right, let's let's get to that's a perfect transition to uh, one of my favorite topics, redactions. Uh, this is a pet peeve of mine, Monroe, right below TIFFs, yeah. uh, and, and how our government uh, pr- limits our access to information that I think is just should be ordinarily provided on a regular routine basis. Uh, I've been writing about this forever in the local scene here in the city of Chicago. I don't write about it, obviously, so much on the federal level. But this fight that's brewing over the Mueller report is fascinating. First of all, how many? It's been over a month. Am I right? No, about two weeks. How long? Two Two weeks. weeks. It's been two weeks. I don't understand why it wasn't immediately released uh, from the get-go. If Trump was, in fact, exonerated, as he claims he was, mm-hmm. it would be on billboards around Chicago. I mean, it'd be everywhere, the <laughs> yeah. exoneration. Um, In other words, the, if the report exonerated Trump as much as Trump pretends it exonerates exactly. him, then it would have been released. Exactly. And we would be have a copy of it right here on this exactly. desk. Exactly. Yeah. And since that's not the case, then they're playing games. Um, Barr's going to have a color-coded yes. coded, uh, re- report. Which is going to look like the um, the subway map. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With the, the red line, the, red, the blue line. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So the different codes will be instead of uh, in the city of Chicago, what they do, Monroe or the state of Illinois, when they don't want you to see public documents, they put uh, they black it out with mark. Well. They supposedly black it out with markers. Sometimes there was a, a story I did once about uh, the, the Board of Education. I didn't want the public to see documents regarding the uh, banning of Persepolis, a, uh, a comic book. And um, they didn't uh, black out the um, uh, documents with magic marker. They simply put some kind of uh, black uh, picture over it. Uh, like computer yeah. laid it. And yeah. so um, this savvy uh, guy who got the information from a Freedom of Information Act request, figured out how to take the computer-generated graphic off the right. document, <laughs> exposing well, everything right. that... Well, uh, as you know, blacking out things doesn't always work. And, and Hidden Figures, the movie, yes. they, they, they had mm-hmm. some information blacked out, theoretically. And the, the um, t- 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 Taraji P. Henderson's character was able to see through it they come up with the names, and they would try to figure out, well, how could she do this? Yeah, yeah so it doesn't always work right. out. But in this particular case, instead of just doing it the old Chicago way of just blacking everything out, they're going to have different colors uh, blacking things out or uh, yeah, hiding things. Yeah, right, exactly. Whether it's, it's a, a court case that needs to be protected or somebody's reputation. Yeah. And that's the tricky one. Yeah. Uh, is is uh is blocking out it because it might be harm for someone, say like Jared. 
or vodka. <laughs> and that would be the interesting thing. It's like, like, because that would get everybody wondering. You know, if you when once you give a suggestion yeah. or a hint of what's being, uh, you know, concealed. Then everybody's going to start the guessing game, right? And based on the color, well, right. it's you know. And and what Congress is saying mm-hmm. is that as members of Congress, they have a right to see the committee has a right to see it all, no redactions whatsoever. And the Republicans and Trump is fighting that. Yeah. And the other thing um, Trump did this morning was he's he he is encouraging. That an investigation of the investigation investigators take place. Yes. And Barr has said he's going to do it. He he is he is so much in. He, he's not our attorney general. He's a Republican's attorney. Yeah, or Donald Trump's. Yeah. Right. Um, right. Uh, and uh, yeah, Barr investigating the investigators. Trump immediately said that's what he was going to do. Right. When, when he claimed uh, the uh, report exonerated him, and he said we're going to investigate the investigators. Essentially, is what he said. Right. Uh, and Barr in his testimony today, I believe he was testifying while uh, we were getting ready for the show uh, in Congress, yeah. said that he uh that the fbi i don't know if he said the fbi should be careful about this but he said they were spying on uh donald trump's campaign yeah he's going to check to see who was spying yeah and he was going to uh check to see who was spying yes. so that strongly implies that somebody was spying exactly. if he has to check to see exactly uh, who was spying and, uh, and, 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 and of course trump keeps um claiming that the investigation started with the steel report yeah and that's not true the counterintelligence investigation started after Papadopoulos got drunk and was bragging about having dirt yeah, on Hillary. That, that is correct. That kicked it off. By the way, uh, I'm, always, I'm happy to say my next guest, James Muhammad, is in the studio. James Muhammad has entered the studio. Love it when my guests yeah. come on time. Right. We're going to bring James Muhammad on, uh, James Muhammad with Monroe Anderson, and we're going to open up the conversation a little bit. Before we do that, uh, Monroe Anderson, what do you think is more likely? Uh, that we will get a thorough investigation into the investigators or we will actually see Donald Trump's taxes? We're, we're going to see Donald Trump's taxes. One way or the other, we will see Donald Trump's taxes. Before the 2020 presidential yes. election? Yes, yes. One way or the other? One way or the other. Hook or crook? Yeah, le- leak or... or uh, Federal, it'll go to the Supreme Court. You realize that. Yeah. It will go. We got to bring Coogan in uh, but to discuss yeah, this. To, yeah, you need to have him in. Having it to discuss yeah. this, the legal ramifications. This case, Trump will resist this all the way to the Supreme oh, Court. Yeah. But Trump has so many things to resist because he's done so much dirt that it's some. He, he's going to. Trump is going to go down from a thousand cuts. I mean, they're coming at him all kind of ways. You, you know, the, there's the investigation uh, on the inauguration where um, his inauguration, contrary to what he claimed, was larger than Obama's. Yeah. Well, right, exactly. It wasn't. But he spent way more money. It cost, yeah, way more mm-hmm. money. And his, 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 his talent was Kid Rock or somebody like that. <laughs> yeah. And it was Beyonce and, 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 and Jay-Z and a whole bunch of people at the Obama yeah. you know, talent, real yeah. expensive talent. Yeah. And yet Obama's inauguration was much cheaper. And, and um, one Russian individual uh, c- contributed $50,000 to the inauguration. inauguration. 
So they're going to dig into that one. Oh yeah, as well. no, because it's, see, they were using again. They were using it as a mo- money laundering. Mm-hmm. Um, let's get rich scheme. All right, uh, that's Monroe Anderson. I'm Ben Jarofsky. James Muhammad is in the studio. We're going to broaden the conversation, talk about all kinds of things when we return. Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you by the Chicago Sun-Times. For the latest in Chicago and Illinois news, sports, weather, and the latest in national news from a real Chicago frame of mind and real Chicago writers, check out the Chicago Sun-Times. Read the daily paper or online at chicago.suntimes.com. And hey, if you have a little extra cash, subscribe. And by the Chicago Reader. For a deeper dive in the daily Chicago news and for all of what's going on in this city, you gotta read the reader. Music, arts and culture, film, extensive event calendars, concert listings, and more, including weekly political columns from writers like Maya Dukmasova and, yes, our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader is free in newsstands and at chicagoreader.com. That's chicagoreader.com. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Wednesday, April 10th. The headphones are right over there, guys. There you go. All right. Cool. Your Ben Jarofsky show, hour number two for Wednesday, April 10th is just moments away. But before we get going into that, we would like to thank the following unions for helping bring back the Ben Jarofsky show. First up, it's the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, not Aerosmith, Local 126 and District 8. How's it going, Ryan Kelly? The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, and the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. Thank you once again to those unions for jumping on board with us and bringing back the Ben Jarofsky show and of course today's Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you by the Chicago Federation of Labor hour number two let's go yes it is Wednesday April 10th and live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue this is the Ben Jarofsky show In this hour of the program, we still got Monroe Anderson in studio. We welcome our favorite grassroots organizer, Amisha Patel, and James Muhammad of SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Benny J. Benjarovsky. Yes, indeed. James Muhammad is in the studio. Amisha Patel is on her way. Monroe tried to leave, but I got Miles to lock the door. He's not going anywhere for a little while. Uh, we're going to broaden the conversation. James Muhammad uh, and Monroe Anderson, apparently they're old friends. I didn't know that. I'm the last guy to know anything. They were like hugging when James walked in the studio. I'm like, how do you guys know? We That's a long story. Uh, we'll get to uh, all the goodies, but first... The doctor has an update, young man. Absolutely. My name's Dennis, not a doctor. James, remember, you got to speak into the microphone here when we get on the air. All right, cool. All right, here we go. Uh, More 2020 Democratic presidential candidate news. After the allegations of inappropriate touching, after they came out against him, well, we have the Joe Biden question now. Mm, Grandpa. Well, get ready, folks, because now I think we have the Bernie question. 
All right. In the last hour, we talked about the latest news involving Senator Elizabeth Warren. She released her 2018 tax returns. Mm-hmm. And let's just say she makes a modest living wage. All right. And Ben, you have... <laughs> it's more... It's... <laughs> We're all more modest than she is. I don't think if you put all the incomes of everybody in this room. Well, Monroe's got a lot of sophisticated investments in the Cayman Islands we're not talking about. But other than Monroe's Cayman Island investments. Oh, man. I'm a Pritzker. I got something going on there. All right. So, mo- a modest living wage. All right. All right. But Bernie Sanders. All right. Ben, you asked about this earlier. Yeah. Bernie is planning to release his tax okay. return soon. But uh-huh. we got to talk about what will be revealed when Bernie's tax returns. Yeah are released. Mr. $27 himself makes way more than $27, like way more. Bernie Sanders is a millionaire. I did not know that. Yeah, now we all know that a core campaign message from Sanders has been that millionaires and billionaires have cornered too much wealth and power in this country. Well, uh, what the hell, dude? You're a millionaire. So the Bernie Sanders question, I'll ask all of you guys, does Bernie Sanders being a millionaire hurt his campaign message? Hmm. All right, I'm going to ask this question. I'm going to just throw this one over to Monroe and James. Uh, and by the way, I'll set it up. I don't know if you guys heard this when I was talking about this earlier. We'll start with uh, you, James. Uh, the, when Bernie Sanders on the Trevor Noah show uh, earlier this week, Trevor got a pretty good joke off. He said that, you know, Bernie still hasn't re- released his taxes. Uh, and, of course, Donald Trump hasn't either. And uh, Trevor Noah said that his suspicion is that Donald Trump is uh, concealing his tax returns because he doesn't want people to realize how poor he is and that Bernie Sanders is doing the same because he doesn't want people to realize how rich he is, okay? And uh, Bernie got a good chuckle out of it and said, "Uh, just you wait, I'm going to release my taxes. Uh, that's my Bernie Sanders imitation. He's getting uh, there. It's pretty bad, too. <laughs> yeah, he's getting there. I'll tell bad. you what, that James Muhammad is a tough critic. You okay? got new digs, too, man. Yeah, I'm, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm Before we get to the question. Check them out. Yes. Uh, and I expected to hear some Miles Davis since I was brought in here by Miles, man, man you know. <laughs> he was I named. I know a jazz man, right? Yeah, well, okay. first of all, I, I'm not his dad, but his dad is a good friend of mine. His dad named him. Uh, Keith Porter, Keith Cap Porter out there listening. Up, uh, his dad named him Miles. for Miles Davis. Big jazz man. Wow. Uh, so um, anyway, yeah, what do you think of these digs? I'm impressed, man. Uh, but I had to park up in Wisconsin. <laughs> and get oh, yeah. Well, you could have taken the bad, blue line. Man. It's bad. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Bar- parking's pretty bad here. So uh, I'm welcoming you to uh, the show. Thank, Thank you. you for being here. Thank you. Uh, so, yeah, so what was the quack? I can't remember the question. It's oh, Bernie, Bernie Sanders. Sanders being a millionaire yeah. hurt his campaign. Yes. So what's the question? Uh, does that Bernie Sanders, it. well, is he, do we, have we established that he is a millionaire? Yeah, he's uh, he's admitted that he's a millionaire. In fact, uh, CNN is saying uh, he's handling it pretty poorly here. He says, uh, the quote here is, uh, I've wrote, I've written a lot of books. If you write a lot of books, you can be a millionaire, too. Okay, <laughs> you can be if you sell the books. Uh, so anyway, what do you think? Does it hurt Bernie Sanders' campaign, the, the appeal he's making, uh, the fact that it turns out he has he's a millionaire? Well, I mean, did they know that the last time that he was out there? Right. Um, I don't I don't blame anybody for being a millionaire. What I blame them for is hoarding wealth and not speaking to the issues of the people who suffer and who are striving to make a living. Uh, J.B. Prisker, he's a billionaire. Uh, right now, he's, you know, he's talking the talk. We have to see if he'll walk the walk. If uh, Bernie gathered a lot of support in his last time. So... Uh, if he's going to speak to the issues of working people, poor people, and make sure that money gets to the people who really need it and share share his ideas on how to do that, I, you know, hey, 
make the money that you are talented enough to make. But uh, do not hoard wealth and, and hide your wealth on a Cayman Island <laughs> bank account and, and take TIF money and, and that could go to keep schools open and right. things of that sort. So that would be what would concern me about folks who make more money than you, Ben. <laughs> as impossible as that sounds. Monroe, you agree with him on that? Yeah, and you know, the thing is, I can't remember how long this ago this was, but there was a story maybe 20, 25 years ago mm-hmm. that said that there were a million millionaires in America at that time. How many years ago was this? 20, 25 years mm-hmm. ago. I can't remember the exact, but it's, and of course, there's many, many more millionaires now. Yeah. Um, I've been a millionaire next door since 1998. Now, a millionaire next door mm-hmm. is, there was a book written about it, is a person who uh, drives Hondas instead of Mercedes, who clips, clips uh, coupons, et cetera, mm-hmm. saves and invests their money. And so on paper, they're a millionaire. But they don't, it's not a millionaire. When I, was, when I was a kid, my father told me that if I had a million dollars, I, I could live off of it the rest of my life. Uh, now, if you have a million dollars and it's not an investment, um, it lasts you 10 years if you just have a $100,000 a year lifestyle. Yeah. So, so being a millionaire is not, Bernie should have dropped the millionaire thing and just stuck with billionaires. The people who have a thousand million dollars. Well, if that's you, where the wealth I, is. I presume if you're talking about uh, raising the uh, income tax, the highest, the rate, the top rate on the income tax, and if you're saying a person has a taxable income of a million dollars, that would that's uh, an income. annual income. Now, I'm not talking about the the, the gross, you know, yeah, uh, no, income wealth, of all your right. Wealth is one thing. Yeah, uh, income is another. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, my my. Income. I'm on a fixed income. I, I have a uh, social security check coming in. Yeah. So, so you're <laughs> right. You're not exactly. a good example of what we're talking <laughs> right. about here, Monroe. Right. Exactly. You're just like I'm a, right. a broke ass writer like the rest of us. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, so, uh, I'm house rich and, and, and paycheck poor. <laughs> uh, so all right, James. That leads mm-hmm. me to this. Uh, the general question, um, and since we're on this top, I wanted to ask you about Ebony Magazine, but I just mm-hmm. want to get to this one right mm-hmm. now. Um, as a, a civilization, if you will, do you think we're heading in the right direction in terms of more equitably uh, taxing people to raise money? So many things are on my mind when I ask this question, but I'll just ask it in the most general way. Uh, your union is very concerned with a more equitable uh, distri- distribution of income and a more equitable way of raising money to fund government. Do you think we're heading in the right direction right now? Well, I think the uh, fair tax proposal is in the right direction. Just as a side note, I was watching 60 Minutes uh, Sunday. Mm-hmm. I, think, I, I don't think it was a rebroadcast, but, and it had a billionaire on there. And his, I can't remember his name, but he was like the 18th richest in the States, but he was a billionaire. Mm-hmm. His concern was that he was in support of the redistribution of the wealth because there's so much wealth in one or two percent of the population that the rest of the population at some point they're going to, you know, old France back in whatever 
century it was when they're coming for you with 18th century 18th century mm-hmm. with uh, clubs and yeah. everything to pull you out of your castle yeah and that kind of sentiment can spread in a country that uh, that the, well the wealth distribution is so wide that people just get so can I say pissed off on your show? Yes. So yeah, pissed yeah. off. Look, the guy said so many rules. He's broken so many rules on this show. You already want to know, yeah, James. That they'll come looking for it. Mm-hmm. And his concern was that we don't, you know, let's let's not get to that point. And, and again, what J.B. Pritzker is trying to do, and you always can tell uh, where the uh, issue is by who's on one side and who's on the other. Most folks who don't have any money would support a fair tax Mm -hmm. and most folks who got a lot of money who aren't you know who who really are more greedy than than rich they just want to keep hoarding wealth then they don't want to figure out how to make things more equitable how to make things fairer so jamie diamond who is the head of chase Mm -hmm. has called he's beginning to sound like elizabeth warren he's talking about the the um, mm. equity um, un- unevenness of everything what they're concerned about because what happens there's been studies on this mm. when when the income wealth wealth and equity grows to be so great then you get social unrest because at some point people mm-hmm. go what the devil was going on? James, when you, when you and I were uh, youngsters in college, mm-hmm. there was a book, uh, Fox Piven. I don't know if you read Fox that book. Uh, and, and it talked about this very point that Monroe is making. Uh, it talked about the riots uh, of the 1960s and how they led uh, to a more fair distribution of money and an expansion of social programs, an expansion of the social, and it made a connection between civil disobedience, uh, well, uncivil disobedience, insurrections, whatever you want to call them, and actual action by the government. I am not in any way advocating uh, insurrections, but I'm just saying what what Monroe was getting at, uh, there is a correlation between how government spends its money, how it raises its money, uh, and just the tone and the tenor of, yeah, but I would also add that, yeah, it might have led to social, uh, the spreading of social services or social accommodation, et cetera. But it still, it gave, it gave relief, but it didn't solve the problem. Mm-hmm. It gave, uh, it calmed the nerves of folk who are out there protesting. I, maybe you could say it pacified that moment, but it didn't lead to generational wealth building that had been destroyed prior to the 60s and the 50s. I mean, we, at one point, we had things, we had, I mean, I'm I'm speaking about African-Americans, black people in general right now, where we had farms, we had, we had towns that were in South, Southern towns that were, they were self-sustaining. They had, they had the rich and the poor, uh, that was destroyed intentionally. Yeah, by white Farms were taken, taken. And folks fled, fled north. So that wealth just disappeared. And so when the uprising occurred, they, they, they were occurring for, uh, to be included, uh, but not necessarily. And that was another issue. We don't need to go into that. But the generational wealth that could have been uh, attained by now for our communities, mm-hmm. that never happened because they were intentionally destroyed. Yeah, in fact, I read a piece last week, week before, that the the average savings 
in mm-hmm. the black household is four dollars. What? Yes, four dollars bank account. Four average now. Obviously, I'm not talking about. That means a whole lot of people have zero money. Mm-hmm. I, and then, did, I didn't see that article. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Four dollars. I, I was shocked. Right. Exactly. That's Four not much of a dollar. cushion. Right. Exactly. Um, and you know, forty percent of Americans now. We're not talking about black blacks. We're talking mm-hmm. about Americans. Period. Forty uh, percent, if they have a four hundred dollar um, emergency, they can't c- cover it. Forty percent. Well, uh, uh, with this bring, I'm going to bring it down to a local level, what just happened today. Uh, Misha Patel, uh, ladies and gentlemen, will be uh, in the studio soon. We'll be talking in much greater detail about this from the Grassroots Collaborative. She's been following uh, these two TIF deals. Uh, James Muhammad, I know your union opposed the TIF deals. Uh, and uh, one of the, the fundamental criticisms I have about the way we do uh, TIF deals in the city of Chicago is that they're linked uh, to... Essentially, they're linked to the wealth of a neighborhood. The wealthier a neighborhood, the more gentrifying, gentrification there's going on in the neighborhood, the more money will be raised and generated for that neighborhood's development. So you have poor neighborhoods on the south and west side that really could use a shot in the arm. But because they're poor, they're not gentrifying, they're not raising a lot of TIF dollars uh, to spur economic development. The wealthiest neighborhoods that don't really need the help are raising the 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 TIF dollars and they get the money. And we saw that. That's why we have $2.3 billion going to relatively wealthy neighborhoods. In your opinion, is that a step back uh, from the ideals of fairly distributing money? Or are you assured by Lori Lightfoot's um, statement that she's going to make sure that there's more minority uh, and black um, uh, entrepreneurs uh, getting the contracts on some of these deals? Well, to your first question, no, I don't think it's a fair way necessarily. Uh, I'm not sure though. Do they take? Are they able to take some TIF money from one part of uh, one TIF district and use it in another at all? You can do that if they're adjoining TIF okay. districts. So you get called porting. You can move it from one to the other to get that TIF money from, let's say, uh, the north side of Chicago at the corner of North and uh, Elston, where this particular Lincoln Yards project to mm-hmm. get it all the way down to Roseland, let's say, or Pullman or, uh, you know, uh, uh, the far south side or Austin on the west side. I don't know if okay. you can do that by current law. All right. Well, bottom line to me, it's all about priorities. If I look at a city and I see poor communities and, and these communities have been crying out for 50 years now, 40, 50 years now, that means that the priorities of whatever administration, we've had like three, are not, those priorities are not to improve the conditions necessarily on the south and west side, unless, as you say, uh, we see signs of gentrification. So what does that mean? That means that folk are only interested in folk who have wealth and people who, who, you know, businesses, et cetera, but people who already are, are, are living okay. So the best city you could have is where community neighborhoods are all thriving. Then you don't have to worry about some of the negative things that are occurring. And, and it makes the city more attractive. They, the people who run the city, I believe, think that buildings and, glit, and glitz and glitter are what attract people to a particular city. That, mm-hmm. that does attract some tourists, but it doesn't, uh, you know, it doesn't just keep people here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. you know, and, and the, the thing is, 
the Republicans now are talking about socialism, how the Democrats are pushing socialism. The, the, and they use Venezuela as their, their poster child. Mm-hmm. The reality is the 10 happiest countries in the world, their citizens are, are they, they're socialist countries where they don't have to worry about health. health. They don't have to worry about um, being homeless. I mean, they, they, so they, we rank number 17 among the 10, uh, Canada's number seven or eight. Just as, as an example, um, you have one of the Democratic candidates. Um, he's an Asian American. His last name is Yang. He is proposing that we have everybody gets um, twelve thousand dollars, thousand dollars a month. Every every citizen, if, if once you're eighteen, that you just automatically, so that you can have some dignity. Some, I mean, you're just not um, piss pot poor. Yeah. Well, we, uh, in our local level, uh, in the treasurer's race, um, Mayor Pawar, who's the, currently the alderman of the 47th Ward, he's stepping down, uh, but he was running for treasurer. He advocated uh, guaranteed income. I don't know if you saw that, James, but he advocated guaranteed income. And uh, <laughs> he was defeated uh, in Chicago. The city of Chicago uh, defeated him and uh, elected Melissa uh, Irvin. Uh, Conyers Irving as the um, treasurer, and she bashed him pretty hard in her campaign commercials, saying he's going too far. Talked about him raising taxes, and um, didn't come out and call him a socialist, Monroe. Yeah. Uh, but you know, yeah. played that that kind of card. Uh, James Muhammad, do you think that uh, a politician uh, can survive running for office, advocating the kinds of programs that uh, Monroe was alluding to in this country, or will that socialist label just ultimately topple the campaign? You mean the $1,000 or guaranteed wage? Mm-hmm. A lot of times the labels, we do play on labels, so I'm going to just start right there. Um, socialism has become a, a bad word, but I will just also state that uh, most of those folks who are talking about socialists they're church-going people, you know. They're church-going people. They're they're the religious right. If they walked up on their main man, they would call him a socialist. And he, you know, this guy who was homeless, they wouldn't open up their bank account for that guy. Mm-hmm. Yet, you know, they proclaim that type of thing. So, you know, I'm, I I would say, yeah, you have to look out for the least of these. Now, more importantly to me, yeah, maybe you know, we could talk about the guaranteed wage piece. I'm not, you know, I'm not sure on how. That because I haven't had a lot of conversations or, or you know looked into it as much, but how about let's make sure that every school has the uh, same amount of money to educate folks because that's what, in my opinion, if you're you're closing schools, that means young young ch- children are now with nowhere to go or put in as we have seen dangerous situations instead of learning. So what's the root pro- what's the root the thinking behind that? Why would you even do that? Why won't you come with another proposal? So number one, that's that's an issue. I don't care if you want to call, you know, socialism or capitalism or whatever you want to call it. The the bottom line is the things that have happened in this in this city are 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 uh, against working and poor people. Mm-hmm. It could be corrected if the priorities are corrected and that if people would realize that making 
those at the bottom, as I think Reverend Jackson said, the least raising it, raising the ladder from the bottom would improve the city. And, and it wouldn't be much out of those who have the wealth. It wouldn't, you know, dent their pockets probably. So I don't know if I answered your question, but that is my thought. Daly and Emmanuel both have been trying to turn this city into Paris. If you've ever been to Paris, the, the, the middle class, the wealthy, all live in the city of Paris. Mm -hmm. And it's surrounded. There's a ring of poor suburbs around where the people don't make much money. Mm -hmm. They all live there. That's what um, the plan has been. Yeah. This is why you've seen the raising of public housing projects. Exactly. I was going to say plan for transformation, the uh, Renaissance 2020. Folk planning... Planners plan like 20, 25 years in advance. So everything you see happening in Chicago, why is it that those same things are happening in every major city across the country? The same things are happening. So somewhere, rich folks are getting together and plan. like right now, they are looking at 2045. And what, what will the cities look like? What will the suburbs look like in 2045? And you will be seeing new plans for transformations, new plans coming out that you won't realize was a plan for your removal or, you know, that was targeted at you until it's happening in your face. All right. To that point. Uh, and by the way, the seeds of so much of these plantings uh, were actually planted in uh, 1973 or so when um, old man Daly, Richard J. Daly, uh, put together a planning report uh, that the city has been almost been following uh, to a T. All right, James, your union supported uh, Tony Preckwinkle mm -hmm. in this last election. She was defeated mm -hmm. decisively mm -hmm. uh, by Lori Lightfoot. Uh, when you hear, thinking about the sorts of issues that you and Monroe have been discussing, the planning in the city of Chicago, the way the city of Chicago seems to be determined uh, to shape its future, do you have any? Do you, do you have any strong sense that Lori Lightfoot will continue? Uh, those plannings along those lines, or do you think she'll resist those plannings? What's your thoughts? It would have been nice to see her voice more uh, strongly that we should wait on this uh, TIF vote or the the votes that took place for seventy eight and Lincoln the Lincoln project Lincoln Yards Lincoln Yards project. It would have been nice that would have shown more sticking to the guns that she was trying to talk about to, during some of the campaign. I, I, you know, it's, it's one thing to say something when you're not in the seat, but once you sit in that seat, you, the, the, the real reality come, uh, you, you see it frontal, and you see who's pulling strings on that seat. Um, so, you know, I'm hoping that some real change occurs. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't have the greatest expectation. I, I congratulate her, uh, Lori Lightfoot, on her, on her victory obviously we were behind the other candidate but um you know the proof will be in the pudding after a, f a month or two to see where she's headed uh it's a new council that's another good thing a new council with some more progressive voices on it if if, if that body sticks together and bring a few more on you may see some real change there's a possibility to see real change if they exert their muscle in the city council to make something different happen. And what that different is, is more priorities on some of our neighborhoods. And hopefully they have the, the better ideas for that. 
What do you think, Monroe? I, like, like I said, uh, I can understand why she did a flip-flop on, on 78 and um, Lincoln Yards with the contracts. The contractors, the building contractors, because that will create, if if done properly, will create real jobs in the black community. Of good paying jobs uh, with black contractors. Um, now again, it's, it's how it's implemented. I in 1978 at, at the Tribune, I did an investigation on set asides. Mm-hmm. where these contracts, they put 25% of the contracts set aside for minority contractors and, and women. And what they were doing, in, in fact, Jesse Jackson's half-brother, Noah Robinson, Noah Robinson. Had, had, had more, he was fronting more set-asides than anybody. He, he was get, personally getting rich, but not, none of the black contractors were. Yeah. So if you get that situation, of course, then it's, it's just it's nothing to it. But if there are real contractors getting real jobs, it will have an impact on the south and west sides of the city. But I'll add to that based on what I've seen. So they put out their initial proposal, and then they had to backtrack because of pressure. And it went from maybe 300 affordable housing to maybe 600. And it went from, they increased the uh, amount that would go to minority and women-led companies. So that means there was a lot of room already there to do what was what would really have been satisfying to people and maybe not have been as much of a reaction to it had there been real genuine thought and, and, and a rollout of, well, here's what we want to do. Here's where the black community, the brown community will will benefit. This is, for the amount of money they're talking about, the money to those black contractors, I mean, I don't think that that's no real thing to, to get up and jump around about. Mm-hmm. And what, what investment will they make in the continuation of those contractors to grow, to make sure that some folks are trained and get on the job training for some of this? Yeah. And, and why did we have to protest or raise our voices to get more affordable housing? because they didn't plan for it to be a, an affordable place to live. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's... Um, yeah, and, it, it's, you know, and it's walking distance from my house. So it, and oh, that's why Monroe yeah, right. is happy. Right. No, 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 really no, happy. no, 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 no. My taxes are going to go up oh. more yeah. as a result. No, 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 I'm not happy. Everybody. Now we're getting to the tax issue. Just so there's nobody out there who thinks, who actually believes... The propaganda that Mayor Rahm and his uh, lackeys put out, I'm telling you right now, folks, we don't have a, a, a healthy discussion about TIF deals because we do not go into, we do not explain how they impact us. But everybody in this room, I believe everybody in this room lives in the city of Chicago. Oh, okay, almost everybody. <laughs> Somebody doesn't live in the city of Chicago. Everybody in the city of Chicago, their taxes will go up because of these deals. One more time, they are taking land off the tax rolls. If you take land off the tax rolls, people, that means you have to raise the rate on the, all the rest of the existing land mm-hmm. to compensate for the money you're not getting from those, those property that you're taking off the tax rolls. It's so obvious. And yet... People in the city of Chicago either don't want to hear it, 
you know, or they just hear it, it gets a little convoluted, complicated, you know, James Muhammad, and they just say, ah, oh, I don't know. That's what Ben says. No, <laughs> no, it's the, it's the city poli- doesn't say it, the and then politicians. their taxes go up. No, it's the politicians having their will. Uh, there were some of those protesters out there at City Hall were from Lincoln Park. People, community groups in Lincoln Park yeah. who did not want uh, that development to go up as planned. Yeah. it's going to be more congested, right. high rises. Mm-hmm. That's a whole other issue, though, right. the impact right. on the local area. Right. All right. Uh, oh, I think our next guest is arriving. The great Amisha Patel is arriving. And uh, before we bring her on, I just asked quickly asked James Muhammad, did you get a chance to read that Kyle Korver? I did. Mm-hmm. And I, Okay, I just to wrap up, Kyle Korver, the basketball player, used to play for the Bulls, now he's played for the East George Jazz. He's a white man, and he wrote a piece called Privilege. Uh, I forget what publication it was for. I think it was the yeah, Players' was, Journal. Yeah, Players' Journal. Some, Your thoughts on that piece? Again, this whole issue of race, there has to be a serious conversation about race. To me, it was another uh, attempt uh, hopefully a well-meaning attempt by a white sports star who has a following to raise this issue to talk about race and to talk about privilege that many white folks don't always think about. Um, I mean, I think lots of times, and I'm just generalizing, maybe whites think we're starting at the same, the same line, the same place, but that's not true. There is a big difference of where somebody who is white starts than, than somebody who is black or even brown, than where they start. So that's the conversation that I think the country is afraid to have, a real one, because then you get into, well, if this issue, if something wrong was done, how do you correct the wrong? And I know you're running out of time, but... Um, no, I think he's saying good. good. Oh, okay. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm thinking, like, how do you correct a wrong? Well, if you're going to correct a wrong, you have to talk about what the problem was. Yeah. And you have to talk about it in a way where it's real. Whether you like it or not, you have to talk about, well, in the case of, let's just say the Native American. What happened to the Native American? What happened to their numbers? How do you, cor- what, what happened? What role Ben or whoever, you didn't have a role in that, but this title privilege, is there something there that impacts you? Well, yes, it does. Uh, And this is how it impacts me. Or no, it doesn't. And this is how it impacts me. And if you say no, then we can have a conversation and then maybe we can get see eye to eye whether it does or does not. How The Native American would obviously have a different uh, uh, position on it. When it comes to African Americans, again, before we came on, I talked about generational wealth that has been lost mm-hmm. and the fact that the so-called African that came over, his descendants were not of the same mind as he was. The ones that came over who weren't killed or put into subjugation were fighters. They were warriors. They did not just sit back and and just let somebody beat them. It took years to to docile, to make a, a black person brought over docile. And, and, there, and, and, and certain things that happened that were strategic to make that happen, just as you train, you know, some of your pets and make them that, that you know, make them respond to the bell when it's rung. They yeah. come to the door. So 
I'm just saying that there's a lot of repair that has to happen, and that repair can only happen if there's a sincere, honest conversation with, without the emotion and the name-calling to put on the table, well, <clears throat> African-Americans, what happened to you? Native Americans, what happened to you? White folks, what happened to you? White immigrants. or And then what role do you have now to help correct it, though you weren't not responsible for those actions? And are, if you're privileged, how do you bring equity to the... To well, the, the contribution that Corver made to this, uh, it could be reduced to one sentence, which Breitbart has redone in the right way. He said, no, uh, white people may not be um, guilty uh, current of, of the sins that their, their forefathers did, but they're responsible mm -hmm. for them. And that has caused quite a consternation on the right. Uh, James Muhammad is in the studio. Monroe Anderson's in the studio. Misha Patel is about to come on. We'll be right back after this. Hey there, producer Dennis here. Thanks for finding and listening to the brand new Ben Jarofsky Show. All right, so here's how this works. The Ben Jarofsky Show live streams on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m. Once the show is over, you can listen to the replay on our YouTube channel or we throw it online for you to download by 4 p.m. Where can you download the Ben Jarofsky Show, you may be asking yourself? Well, you may be asking yourself a fantastic question. You can find previous Ben Jarofsky shows and guest interviews through several outlets. The Chicago Sun-Times Online, chicago.suntimes.com. The Chicago Reader Online, chicagoreader.com. And wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, pick one. Just search for The Ben Jarofsky Show. J-O-R-A. V is in victory. S-K-Y. So, let's recap. Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m., live streamed on the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel and downloadable by 4 at chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. Yes, the Ben Jarofsky Show is back. We're live and downloaded. Tell your friends and enjoy the rest of the show. If you would like to advertise with The Ben Jarofsky Show, and who wouldn't, contact Tracy Bame at publisher at chicagoreadercorp.com. We have several advertising options for your business or organization, and quite frankly, we would love nothing more than to tell our listeners all about it. Once again, that's Tracy Bame at publisher at chicagoreadercorp.com. At C-O-R-P as in Paul, dot com to advertise with the Ben Jarofsky Show, the Chicago Reader, and the Chicago Sun-Times. We look forward to plugging you. Okay, well, that came out kind of weird. More of the Ben Jarofsky Show live and downloaded in moments.
Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. <laughs> Benny J, take it away. All right, will do. Amisha Patel is in the studio. Amisha Patel is in the studio from Grassroots Collaborative, uh, and she's also playing a double role. She's our ace correspondent who is covered, <laughs> pretending she's an ace correspondent for the Ben Jarofsky Show who's covered uh, what went down today in the Chicago City Council while we were here talking to James Muhammad and Monroe Anderson about all the issues of the day. Uh, so we're going to bring Amisha on for a report. What you got for me, D, before we do that? Absolutely here. It's the question that we're asking everybody on our Facebook and Twitter pages. The Bernie question. We have the Biden question. We now have the Bernie question. Right now on the Facebook page, we are asking you, since we've learned Bernie Sanders is a millionaire, is this a big deal or not a big deal for the Bernie Sanders campaign and their message? Like I said, here we're going to be reading your comments, so let's read some of those. Debbie weighs in, says, yes, it is a big deal because Senator Sanders based his 2016 campaign on standing up to the millionaires and billionaires. Uh, oh, Frank Coconati has weighed in. Ladies and gentlemen, Frank Coconati <laughs> has weighed in on the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page. Oh, Franklin. Frank Coconati says, Bernie is a circus act. Bernie does not run to win. Bernie runs to make millions. Wait a minute. Frank Coconati called somebody else a circus act? Oh, yeah. Oh, come on, Frank. All right, so there you go. Frank <laughs> Coconati weighed in. Thank you very much, Frank. Uh, Jim weighed in. He says, this is a distracting argument that people and lobbyists and corporations will try to use to discredit Bernie's policies. So does that mean that someone who product slash book made money can't be in favor of working against wealth, uh, wealth's anti-democratic destructive? Hold on, he's got more here. Destructive influence, it's not mutually exclusive. Mm. I, pretty well done. <laughs> okay. Take that, Frank Coconati. Oh, there you go, Frank, huh? <laughs> Our buddy Tim says if Bernie is a millionaire and at the same time he wants to raise taxes on millionaires and billionaires, he would be raising taxes on himself. I think that it shows he's going to walk the walk. By the way, his wife inherited a bunch of money a few years ago. I don't know if him and his wife filed jointly. And shout out to our buddy Pat Rod on the on the uh, YouTube video live stream. He put in here, no big deal to me. Being a millionaire was never the problem. Millionaires buying politicians and hoarding money is the problem. Bernie question. We're asking all of you. Head over to the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show. And if you've yet to like the page, come on, like the page. <laughs> when we hit 1,200 likes, we will yeah. have our next caption contest right. and at Benny J Show on Twitter. All right. Very good. Thank you very much, Dr. D. All right, Amisha Patel. Not a doctor. Uh, before we take that deep dive on Lincoln Yards and the 78, uh, does it bother you? That Bernie uh, Sanders apparently is a millionaire, uh, thanks to his uh, selling of books. I think we need rich people to talk about how they need to give their wealth away. And if Bernie Sanders is a rich person who has been talking about how to give his wealth away, that's wonderful. We need, like, we need owning class people to be on the right side. So I'm glad he's talking about it and he's open about it because I think it'd be worse to pretend if he wasn't. Um, but absolutely, we like that's actually we need we need folks at every income level to fight for the same message. And if Bernie is on that as a millionaire, great. All right, I kind of agree with Amisha Patel on that one. Uh, yeah, it didn't bother me that uh, J.B. Pritzker was a billionaire. Uh, I got a little irritated that he was ducking his property taxes with that uh, toilet scheme of his, which everybody has apparently forgotten. But he is leading the fight for a fair tax in Illinois, so good for him. But I do think the point, and I can't remember the number, but the 
I don't know, it's like, I thought it was like 70 or 80% of Congress people are millionaires. Like, that actually is an issue. The fact that you can only get that position with extreme mm-hmm. personal wealth, mm-hmm. that is an issue. Bernie Sanders is an individual having being a millionaire. I don't care. But the fact that it is so inaccessible and it's so out of reach for women of color, low-income people, folks to, like, come from the communities to get into that office, that is absolutely a problem. Uh, you know what? I have to ask you this. Um, I know we're far afield. This always happens with the Mish Patel comes in but when you just said that I'm thinking uh, I'm going to see this movie on Thursday about uh, Alexander Ocasio-Cortez and how she won I think it's called Take Down the House or something it's a documentary about uh, her campaign and um, do you think it's what the vilification of her that we're seeing uh, so th- throughout uh, the media and on social media etc um, do you think that I don't I don't even know if fair is the right word but it just um, it gets at what you're talking about, like the, the disadvantages that somebody has who doesn't have uh, millions of dollars. She had to fight so hard to get there, and now she's there, and they're already just like driving over her, pounding her into the ground. It seems kind of excessive to me. Am I wrong in that? Absolutely. I mean, they're that scared of her, right? I mean, they are coming for her hard because of the power of her message, her ability to communicate it and reach so many people um, is dangerous. And so they are coming hard, but it's totally, you can't separate out sexism, racism, the fact that she's a woman of color um, taking on this, like the issues that she is. Um, And that's, it's her and it's the whole crop of women of color who are in office that I think um, the right is, you know, got their, their eyes on, but that is because of the power that they, that they actually have. Well, I, uh, uh, urge everybody away uh, to go check out that movie. It's the Davis Theater uh, this Thursday night. All right, uh, Amisha Patel, let's get down to business on the local level. Uh, you've been following very closely as uh, through the Grassroots Collaborative the um, the two TIF deals that Mayor Rahm has uh, pushed through the city council in the last weeks of his uh, term as Mayor of City Chicago, Lincoln Yards, and 78. Uh, what went down today? Well, um, you know, I'll start with late last night, which is when we, um, when uh, Mayor-elect Lori Lightfoot put out her statement, um, basically saying that uh, she was giving a green light to both of these deals moving forward, and um, her justification was that she increased the minority um, business set aside and the women um, set asides by four percent. The minimum requirements was what the developers were had committed to, which was twenty six percent. They moved it up to 30%, a 4% increase, $80 million more that now will go. Will have to go to um, businesses owned by people of color and women. So we, I mean, we knew when, yet, when on Monday uh, we got the delay, which you know was a momentary huge victory um, to, to actually get, you know, nothing gets delayed in the city and yeah. certainly, you know, like, so that was a big deal and it was, a, and we were actually doing a, pre- we were holding a press conference when we got the news um, and it was a pretty electric moment. But when we learned very quickly that it was a 48 hour delay, there's not a whole lot you can, there's not a whole lot you can win in 48 hours. It was a, it was a setup, right? And so she had to come out with something. She did come out with something, um, but it wasn't enough. It certainly wasn't enough to say, great, let's go ahead with these deals that are going to fundamentally change the direction of the city of Chicago. Um, so what happened this morning was, um, you know, uh, the finance committee reconvened because the Monday meeting when they were supposed to call vote on both projects, they called for they they ended up doing a delay, but only for two days. 
they quickly voted this morning um, on both um, TIF deals. It's a set of 11 ordinances, actually, but on two TIF deals. And as they were doing that, um, there were several hundred of us who were protesting on the second floor of City Hall, um, calling out the fact that, calling out these deals um, to say it wasn't enough. Um, they shouldn't move forward. Lightfoot herself has said consistently that the new mayor and the new city council are the, is the right um, body to make the decision about what happens with these projects. And that, of course, didn't happen. And it didn't happen because the vote would have been much more in question had we waited till after inauguration. Um, we had six aldermen-elect um, do civil disobedience with us um, immediately after the vote. Um, they and several others were, had already publicly committed to say that they would not, you know, they were not in support of these votes. Um, and then, you know, a crew of, of, of incumbents as well. So, um, but we, you know, I think what was really important for us is that we, um, we, you know, we know the fight continues, and we were clear on this from the beginning that um, st stopping these two deals were going to be was going to be very difficult. But what was really powerful about this morning is that we really did, um, you know, we really did take back the power of and really focus on the power of the people. And we did our own um, people city council vote um, outside of city hall. Um, we had aldermen elect right who were there to speak out and you know against against these deals and to stand in support with literally stand in support with us and in fact sit and you know they sat down in the middle of the south street in support with us um and um it was ex along with community leaders and organizers who've been fighting this for months and you know the collaborative has been taking on tips for over a decade um our fight will continue beyond beyond today um but of course you know it was it's it's, it's disappointing that the vote happened but not surprising uh when you say okay set up you earlier said that there was a setup in your humble opinion uh Explain what you mean by that. Well, you know, you can't, when the fact that, you know, Lightfoot had committed very clearly um, in, you know, her, her um, opposition to these deals. And, um, you know, Sunday night, um, late Sunday night, she issued a statement saying that um, she thought she was pushing for the vote in finance committee the next morning to not happen. That instead it should be a subject matter hearing, meaning hear again the voices of the people. And so Monday morning was when we learned, again, um, minutes before the finance committee was supposed to gather, that the vote was indeed not going to happen. But when the delay was only 48 hours, there you can't get any anything real. I wouldn't say real, right? I mean, more contracts to people of color and women is, is important. Of course, the integrity of those businesses actually being run by people of color and women is a whole other thing. We have a really bad history in the city of fronting people, but it's actually white folks who are making all the profits still. Um, and you know, I think the important thing too for us is like even if even with that additional eighty million dollars going to people of color and women, the impact on women and people of color in the city for decades and decades to come is much more disastrous with billions of dollars again going to create these two these two new neighborhoods in the city of Chicago. So when I say it's a setup, there's no way anything real anything like substantive uh, and significant could actually have been won in the span of two days. Uh, what really needed to have happened was uh, to win a delay till there was till post inauguration, and we had the new administration in in, in office. And even then, would need time to really dig into this. And we talk about the 20, the related Midwest TIF. 
you know, automatic prerogative is real convenience, right? Because it's, you know, it's mayoral prerogative because the mayor wanted that TIF to move forward. Um, there, You can very arguably say that there is no sitting alderman right now with Danny Solis totally missing in action. And um, so the incoming alderman, um, Byron Sicho Lopez, has been adamant that this deal shouldn't go forward the way it currently is. But of course, that was ignored. Was right? he one of the aldermen who participated? Yes. yes. All right, folks, this, let's just pause. Uh, this is one of my favorite little themes. Uh, Amisha was talking about this with Maya yesterday, the utter fraudulent issue that was raised in his campaign of aldermanic prerogatives being a serious problem in the city of Chicago. So let's just pause, folks. And we want everybody out there to absorb what I'm about to say. Supposedly, the aldermen are the kings or the queens of all zoning matters in their wards. And the reason we give them such authority, James Muhammad and Amisha Patel, is because they know better than anyone else the ramifications of any deal on their constituents. And that's what home rule is all about. That's the fundamental bedrock of democracy. Small d democracy, James Muhammad. D-E-M-O-C-R-A-C-Y. And that's what we're all about, the city of Chicago. And that's what advocates of automated prerogative to tell you, okay? And automated will supposedly fall on the sword for automated prerogative. I'm just giving you the bad, I'm doing the good job, I think, Amish Patel, of summing up what they say, all right? So we have a ward, the 25th ward, in which the 78, which is this huge, humongous TIF deal, has no alderman, has no effective alderman, because the alderman, the current incumbent, Danny Daniel Solis, uh, was caught wearing a wiretap, a federal wiretap, and don't make this stuff up, folks, that federal wiretap but he's gone somewhere i don't know maybe he's in witness protection amisha so there's no alderman the incoming alderman who was just elected by the good people the good voters of the 25th ward says he's against the program so if we really had alderman a prerogative in the city of chicago the good alderman of the city of chicago would have said uh we cannot vote in the 78 today because the current alderman the one who was elected by the people of the 25th ward says he's against it but did they do that amisha patel they did not. And what did they do? Did they vote for it? They vote, both votes sailed through. Isn't that, and did anybody rise on the council floor and say, excuse me, Mr. Mayor, this is a gross violation of the fundamental precept of automatic prerogative. Did anybody do that? I'm not sure. I was on the streets uh, uh, blocking traffic, so uh, not, James not Muhammad, sure. Were you aware of that? They didn't stand on the desk, I'm sure. Yeah, they didn't do a Richard <laughs> Mel. You know, Richard Mel standing on the desk. Right? Isn't that funny? They pick and choose when they're going to uh, enact it. There's so much hypocrisy in this uh, city, Amisha Patel. But anyway, all right. Um, what about the larger issue? that goes uh, like to all the citywide issue of how we raise our money. Do you think that uh, the public in this city will ever become aware of the consequences that these huge TIF uh, deals and these TIF uh, projects have on their pocketbook? I think more and more people people know it, or at least know to ask questions. There's more outrage. Um, you know, I think that is certainly happening through, again, years and years of organizing, through the writing you've done, um, through the, you know, through through really lifting up the kind of kind of the string of egregious TIF deals that the city of Chicago has entered into. The mechanics of what that means into people's pocketbooks is, you know, I think people don't necessarily understand that in terms of the fact that actually it's not just, oh, well, this money is going over now to this development. It means that actually property taxes are going to go up. And it's not just that you're held 
held um, harmless. So uh, I think there's still more work to do to have people understand that. Um, but the overall question and problem of TIFFs, I think there's a lot of, you know, people in the city of Chicago, um, you know, understand that it's not working and it's certainly not working for them. And I think that's that's the big thing. The way TIFFs work in the city is that it, instead of reducing income inequality, which is the whole purpose of it, it is completely making income inequality worse. Because the neighborhoods that have lots of TIFF money are the neighborhoods that already have resources. So they've got a whole bunch of extra money to do sidewalk repair and streetlight repair and infrastructure and all that stuff dipping into TIF funds, like the near south, the near west sides, um, and the neighborhoods that actually are blighted that need development, the TIF funds are literally like dollars, like single dollars, um, uh, hundreds of dollars. That's it in these in these funds. So the whole system is not working and hasn't worked. There's certainly, well, it's working for some people. It's not working for the people it should work for and that it's intended to work for. And that for us is like the key thing is like, all right, so what what comes next and how do we keep taking on this fight over the next four years with this new administration to really say we need a completely different way forward and we need to talk about economic development that um, actually centers black and brown people, that centers the south and west sides of the city and that, you know, instead of the continued failed status quo approach that we've seen not only for the eight years under Emmanuel, but certainly all the, you know, many years under um, Daly as well. You know, and one of the particularly frustrating things, uh, the way that votes go down in the city council, and Misha Patel, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, is that uh, the aldermen from the wards that are getting uh, the, the, raw, the raw deal here are more often than not the aldermen who will support the TIF deals. Um, I've, I've been watching this happen for years and years and years. Your thoughts about this pattern? Well, it, it comes back to this this piece of aldermanic prerogative and the fact that um, you know it's really this weird deal that folks enter into, which is that you know, and I think what we heard definitely with these votes, Ron was pushing hard all weekend to lock lock in his votes. It was not a given, right? Um, and he was lo- he was he was pushing hard to get his votes. And part of what he what he was doing to lock in his votes was making all kinds of promises to aldermen about the things that they wanted to see in their wards that he was promising to make sure happened if this TIF deal went through. Mm-hmm. Did did they? Um, so in other words, uh, it may not be a lot. It may not be one point three billion, but it's something, and something is better than nothing. And so, let's take it. And that's, I think, the the whole challenge and what's wrong is that, um, you know, it's like actually if people organized, there's so much more and banded together to demand actually what neighborhoods and communities needed, there, there'd be so much more power. But it, it does feel like it's this individual, like, all right, let's make a deal um, that may feel like the best thing that an alderman can get, but it certainly is leaving so much power on the table. That is Amisha Patel from Grassroots Collaborative. We're talking about the TIF deals that went down. Uh, I'll have some more questions about uh, the future of the city of Chicago under Mayor-elect Lori Lightfoot when we return. The Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you by the Chicago Sun-Times. For the latest in Chicago and Illinois news, sports, weather, and the latest in national news from a real Chicago frame of mind and real Chicago writers, check out the Chicago Sun-Times. Read the daily paper or online at chicago.suntimes.com. And hey, if you have a little extra cash, subscribe. And by the Chicago Reader. 
for a deeper dive in the daily Chicago news and for all of what's going on in this city, you gotta read the reader. Music, arts and culture, film, extensive event calendars, concert listings, and more, including weekly political columns from writers like Maya Dukmasova and, yes, our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader is free in newsstands and at chicagoreader.com. That's chicagoreader.com. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Mr. Jarofsky, take us home. All right, I love that music. You know, I love that. I'm all fired up over this TIFF stuff and talking about it all day. When I hear that music, just kind of mellows me out. By the way, Misha Patel, Grassroots Collaborative, uh, playing keyboard on that song. Do you know that? She's good. She's good. She's really good, yeah. When she's not out there in the streets protesting the city's TIFF policy, she's playing that keyboard. Uh, all right, uh, Misha, I know you were disappointed uh, by that, uh, how this all went down, how it ended, I should say. You know, you we were probably very excited on Monday when that first word broke. I was so happy, I was jumping for joy. Uh, then I quickly realized, oh yeah, <laughs> thank. This is not working out the way I thought. I kind of knew right there and then uh, when they announced that uh, they were going to spend forty-eight hours investigating it, uh, that they were going to look for some way to, to cut this deal, give everybody face saving and all that. Um, all right, so um, going forward, your thoughts on what it's going to be like with uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, at least in comparison to what, what it was like with Mayor Rahm Emanuel. I think it's, um, it's still early to know exactly, obviously, how things are going to go. Um, but I will say, uh, you know, one of the things when we did, we did a town hall with mayoral candidates in January called Reimagine Chicago. It was on the west side of Chicago. We had nearly a thousand people in the room, um, I think over, over the limits of that church, but, um, but it was, it was incredible. Um, and, uh, Lori Lightfoot was there and, um, answered a whole bunch of questions and made a bunch of commitments, um, including, uh, committing to free city colleges, committing to free CTA for young people, um, and seniors, uh, committing to eliminate the gang database and reopen mental health clinics. As a candidate, you make all kinds of promises and commitments, but these are very clear yes or no, many of these are yes or no questions, and she said yes to everything we asked. Um, we also had, at the end, had them sign a giant card saying, I will keep my promise to the things that I said today, um, to meeting with the Reimagine Chicago Coalition before inauguration, and also to having Reimagine Chicago on my transition teams. So... She definitely hasn't doesn't have us officially on her transition teams. We're a broad coalition. Thirty five organizations put that together. So I'm sure she could say, point. There's many of our organizations who are on there in various committees, but not as they were. They did not respond to us as Reimagine Chicago to be part of the committee. But just yesterday, finally, they did um, email back to say um, that they wanted to schedule a time to sit down and meet. So on that front. 
Rahm Emanuel never agreed to ever have any conversation with um, folks in neighborhoods and communities that wasn't a completely scripted and performative conversation. So, um, so in that sense, that that is different. It is um, very different than um, the last administration or the current administration. But in terms of how the governance and how policies are going to move, um, you know, I think that we don't know yet. And but it is very clear we have the the need for organizing will be stronger than ever. And I think we'll get we, we will have more opportunities to win some of the things that we want to see. Um, certainly more opportunities than we had under Rahm Emanuel. But there are many concerns. I mean, she um, and one as a candidate talked about. Um, this idea of making taking some of the closed school buildings and turning them into mini police academies, and she backtracked off of it. And then suddenly, a week you know a week ago, there's an or you know there's um, paperwork filed um, by the city of Chicago to create uh, take a school in South Shore and turn it into a mini police academy. That raises all kinds of questions. Like, I don't, was that a real big coincidence that she threw out this thing? Or clearly there are conversations with the Emanuel administration making plans for a seamless transition that includes very bad policies that the Emanuel administration is committed to. So I, you know, I do think that is off the table because of the level of organizing and outrage that um, happened after that announcement. But it is a clear sign of our need to be vigilant and to continue to organize and to you know and to hold her um, and push her because um, left on a, you know left on her own I don't you know I think we have a lot of bad decisions moving forward and I think well, I think there are going to be big battles over the next four years and I think there are, um, I'm you know hopefully that she will also be listening and responding to community members to actually make some good decisions mm-hmm. um, and I also think the other big piece for sure is the new city council. It is, it is, there's so much more possible with the city council than has been true for decades. Even, you know, after the, in 2007 elections, which were a referendum on the big box living wage ordinance, which was what our organization worked on. This was when Walmart was trying to come in originally into Chicago and have like 20 stores. Are the one and only veto in Mayor Daly's entire, um, you know, twenty-five year, twenty-plus years in office was on our on our ordinance, um, which would have mandated a living wage um, by for big box retailers. Um, though we didn't win, you know, he vetoed that, and we couldn't override the veto. We did win the you know minimum wage increase in the state that just finally went, you know that then held for many years until recently. But the aldermen, there, are t- uh, yeah, I, I'm going to get the numbers wrong, so I won't say them. But I, I, I don't know, five to ten aldermen lost their seats. Incumbent aldermen who were against the living wage, replaced by pro living wage people, including folks like Scott Wagesback, and I'll even say back then Bob Fioretti and other folks who came into office very clearly on a pro living wage platform. But even from that moment, like there's nothing still quite like this moment in terms of this crop of candidates. Um, sorry, of alderman, alderman elect uh, who really come from movements, mm-hmm. you know, who come from organizing like Mike Rodriguez, who comes from organizing in Little Village and running one of our um, in Las Chicago, which is a member of ours. Um, Maria Haddon, who come, you know, does done organizing with BYP and has done, you know, a ton of, of, of organizing at the local level for years. Um, Byron Sixcho Lopez, who was a head of Pilsen Alliance. Right. I mean, this is I think what's possible in the next four years um, is really different because of the um, of the set of aldermen coming in um, who 
are rooted in our communities and in our movements. And, you know, six of them, again, stood with us this morning. And that's unheard of. Like when the fact that you had six aldermen elect come into civil disobedience in front of city hall, you know, is, I mean, it gives me so much hope of the kinds of things that will be possible to push forward in the next four years. Yeah. And when you said, uh, they reached out, they wanted to meet with you. When you say they, who, who was the, they you were alluding to the Lori Lightfoot administration. So they, they, they're scheduled to set up a meeting with Lori and, uh, the reimagined Chicago coalition. Well, that is, uh, you know, I, I don't want to be all gloom and doom today. Uh, that is something, uh, considering, you know, the tone and tenor of Mayor Rahm's years and his attitude toward people of your persuasion, your progressive populist persuasion. Uh, he would not. He wanted nothing to do with people like you. So, I mean, I'm yeah Being hopeful no i think it is uh you know and i had to ask we follow up like four times on the letter but you know i mean it's gonna <laughs> take that hope it's gonna take vigilance well it's not gonna just come to us right but it is you know like hope is a discipline and we have to like stay at it and um and i think the fact that we you know that there is she is going to fulfill that commitment to meet with us um does mean something because again i've you know, I think my the closest I've gotten to Rahm Emanuel was uh, yelling at him <laughs> at, a, at a budget hearing. As you know, he was running out the yes, door. Yes, right. Well, I have to tell you this. Uh, I was reminiscing uh, when and I, I did write this for a column. Uh, it hasn't come out yet, but I was reminiscing when I got word. I think you may have been the one who passed the word on to me. I can't remember that uh, Lori had called for delay, and the mayor Rahm was seconding her call for delay, and it looked as though they were going to postpone this vote. Uh, until after the um, uh, swearing in of the new council and the new mayor. And I started reminiscing about uh, <laughs> the TIF crusade of 2006 over LaSalle Central TIF, a downtown Central TIF district. And you could have fit everybody who was involved in that uh, crusade, uh, Amishi Patel, at that table where you're sitting. I think it was me and a couple other misfits. And Mike Quigley, uh, who was the Cook County Board Commissioner, showed up at a commission, uh, Community Development Commission meeting to protest that. And this is the state of, of Chicago then. It may give you a little hope. The chairwoman of the commission was trying to deny Mike Quigley the opportunity to speak because she argued that he was a Cook County Board Commissioner. It was just a blatant show of power, a way of just steamrolling anybody that would dare to oppose. It was one official, one, one official, okay? Mm -hmm. And she wasn't even going to let him speak, and he threatened to have a press conference uh, unless she did let him speak, so she finally relented. She was just probably messing with him. So when I see so many, you know, fast forward all these years later, and you've got dozens and dozens of people protesting, you have six newly elected aldermen protesting, 13 people voted against it, uh, or 14 voted for one against one TIF, 13 voted for the other. You forced the mayor elect to at least act as though she was <laughs> reviewing it. You know, you're forcing people to reconsider sort of the, um, the myths and the lies they put up about this program. I don't know. It's very hard for a jaded old guy like me to be hopeful, Amisha, but I feel a little hope. What do you I, think? I do of that? think it's I do think it's a new moment and it's unknown of what we'll make of this moment, but it is a new moment. It is a shift. I think it's important to notice that because um, we will much less will be possible if we kind of, you know, act as if it's nothing has changed because I think we're 
there are opportunities that we have to actually be alert for and to be ready for and and that is really that is really critical and I, I do think um I, I think it's going to be an, an interesting next four years. It will be indeed. And it is no joke. $80 million uh, that you pointed out uh, that will be shifted uh, to minority contractors. That's that's no small fun. So I'm looking at trying my best, Amisha Patel, to look on the bright side today. Is that a good idea to do? I think we. I think. I think. I think organizing gives me hope. I think that um, our movements are push are making this possible, and um, and 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 I think more is possible than we you know than we actually think and can tell. All right, very good. That's a good place to uh, to end it. Amisha Patel from Grassroots Collaborative, always a friend of the show. Always great to have her on as well. Do you got an update for me, young man? Actually, yeah, real quick, because I said I'd do it on Facebook, and I'm not a liar, okay? Uh, we're asking everybody the Bernie question on both our Facebook and Twitter pages, at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show. The Bernie question, Bernie's a millionaire. Is this a big deal or not a big deal? For the Bernie Sanders campaign and Bernie Sanders message in the 2020 presidential race, Steve. Steve says, don't blame Bernie for what he didn't say. His speeches reference the billionaire class, not millionaires and billionaires. And don't forget Dr. Evil from Austin Powers. Though a million bucks is more than most folks have, it's not what it used to be either. (laughs) Okay, quoting Austin Powers. Head over to the uh, Facebook page, Twitter page. Answer the Bernie question. Tomorrow's program will be reading your answers. Yeah, and I'm with Amisha on this one. I, I don't think it's uh, it's that damaging. Listen, I know Donald Trump is going to do a work overtime to try to make it seem that Bernie Sanders is a hypocrite. <laughs> there Donald he goes. Trump, That's our, uh, Donald Trump, yeah. But uh, I don't think uh, it will fly with Democratic voters. It may just give Republicans another reason to vote against Bernie Sanders, but they weren't going to vote for him anyway, Amisha Patel. Anyway, uh, good job, Dr. D. Appreciate that. Amisha Patel, great job as always. Monroe Anderson, James Muhammad were our guests earlier today. Uh, Miles Davis Porter, he's got a new hey nickname, uh, thanks to James Muhammad. Uh, fantastic job as always. He's the star, third baseman for the Roosevelt University uh, baseball team. Uh, he can grab one hell of a guest. He's good. Yeah, he can grab a guest. Well, not grab him, but you know, bring him into the studio. can smack that ball. Miles Davis Porter, and of course, the man, the myth, the legend, behind the board, wheeling and dealing, the and joy of Alton, Illinois. Ladies all love him for his body and his mind. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. And hey, live streamers, if you missed any of today's show, don't worry about it, Ben. That's okay. You can say what you want. If you missed any of today's show, you can download it by 4 o'clock. ChicagoReader.com. Chicago.SunTimes.com. Okay? To download it. Hey, downloaders, we live stream the show. That's right. The YouTube live stream, chicagoreader.com, chicago.suntimes.com. We start at 1 p.m. Central Time every day. Listen live, hang out, and join the uh, YouTube live stream chat like Johnny and Benjamin and Pat Rod, all those guys. We'll see everybody tomorrow. This weekend, come explore the Admiral Theater's Dark Side. It's Strip Wars Volume 1, The Phantom Stripper, a parody show live at the Admiral Theater, 3940 West Lawrence and Pulaski, April 11th, 12th, and 13th in a theater not so far away. Do not miss Strip Wars, The Phantom Stripper, a parody show live at the Admiral Theater. For more information, call 773-478-8111 or visit AdmiralX.com. This is a totally nude show. Must be 18 years or older to enter.